0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's edition of the About to Review podcast. Here to amplify diverse voices in media, I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Anywhere you get your podcast, you can find it there. You can also stream the episodes directly from the website aboutreview.com, which is where you can find full links to the show notes and guests. You can also follow the podcast on social media at About to Review on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and YouTube.com/slash/about to review. On today's episode, I'm joined by returning guest, Mike Ward of Should I See It. Welcome. Uh, yes, thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> uh, and yeah, this is going to be, uh, well, not a long episode. There's a lot to get through in this episode, uh, similar to the previous episode that I will have released by the time this one comes out. Uh, this is kind of a catch-up episode on quite a few movies that i was unable to drop reviews for when they came out so yeah
1: well you know <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get through them all yeah
0: so yeah just life happens and things kind of got behind but uh so yeah so that will be on this week's episode there's a ton of movies they will all be in the show notes and in the image on social media to go through that but before we get to the reviews. We will go to the original theme song created by damon randall of ill-mannered media
2: let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat
0: Okay, just like riding a bike, just like riding a bike. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So a quick catch up for for those uh, tuning in. Thank you again, everybody, for all of your patience over the past couple of months as I was dealing with some health issues and everything. But I'm happy to report as of right now, everything inside is still on the inside (laughs) and where it is supposed to be. So yeah,
1: things are working is what you're saying.
0: Things, things are working, uh, feeling much better, uh, than I was. So thank you to everybody who, yeah, sent some words of encouragement and support on social media. I really appreciated that.
1: It is wonderful to have your voice back in the conversation. I will say that.
0: Ah, why thank you. It is weird. Just like you said, when you first sat down and put the headphones on it, it is weird to hear my voice (laughs) in my headphones again, because it has been, I, I actually looked at my notes. The last time I actually sat down to record the episode with Tim was June 2nd. So it has been a while.
1: You you were just on temporary hiatus.
0: Yes. And during that time, I did do an episode of Cinema Squabble, which you can check out mm-hmm. on on their website. I will put a link uh, in the description where we covered a few movies that I will be talking about on this episode as well. Um, but, yeah, so you can go in and, and check that out. So – yeah, so that was all. Then here we are now.
1: Here we are now
0: uh, to talk about a bunch of movies, <laughs> and what we are going to do to keep us—and by us, I mean we—on uh, track.
1: All right, I'm cracking the knuckles because I've got a. <laughs> uh, this is where this is one of my key components <laughs> Mike, Mike to has, the show.
0: Mike has a job to do, so uh, there is a five-minute timer on each of these reviews, <laughs> uh, mainly again to keep me in check because there is a lot to get through. And as opposed to more of the long form reviews that I like to do, where we really kind of dig into stuff with the amount of reviews I want to get through to get back on track, there's a timer. Uh, So I was going to plug this directly into the mixer, uh, but I decided not to do that. So instead, so every five minutes, well, if we get to it, (laughs) uh, you will hear this sound. Yeah.
3: Okay. Yeah,
1: it's there. I can hear it.
0: So, uh hopefully we we do not get there and we're able to, I'm able to kind of get these through the 5 minute mark. This is a very I would say old school radio broadcast mentality where even a good friend of ours, Brian Tybel. Yes. No matter how many movies he has to review,
1: Brian the movie by the way. There you go.
0: Thank you. Uh <laughs> he gets a I think a 3 minute maximum spot. Yes. On like right. Fridays. You know, yep. Friday at 5 a.m. or whatever. Because he's
1: on the old-fashioned terrestrial radio, yes. as they say. Yeah. Uh,
0: he is, to his credit, and this is backed up by, by facts, the most listened-to movie critic in the Northwest.
1: That's correct.
0: So, but yeah, since it is terrestrial radio, it is old school. And it is like, hey, you got three minutes, Brian the Movie Guy, to tell us everything we need to know about the six movies coming out this week. So I'm taking that huh. philosophy and adopting it a little bit.
1: And in the um, spirit of the Mueller hearings, we're getting five minutes <laughs> yeah, to exactly. speak and then quit and quiz each other and talk about everything and yield time back and forth.
0: And, exactly. And, uh, yes. Or like in college and yeah, speech and debate. So, oh, yeah, no, so 5355.
1: I, five. I didn't do any of that stuff. Oh, I, that I failed at that. I admire it, but I, I'm not great at it.
0: Weird. I mean, you would think that I kind of got good at talking. Yeah. I know. Like, uh, you know, weird. It, As it, anybody it, who would know me, they know how shy. I am and how just reserved
1: the there is power behind (laughs) this device that I'm talking behind though. I mean, you know, I was in radio in, in uh, college uh, for much of the time. And um, it's just sort of a a different feel as opposed to Mm -hmm. like, if you put me in front of, Oh, I don't know, say 50 to a hundred to any number of people that I've never been in front of before. And you want me to give a speech, I'm a wreck. Really? I'm a disaster. And, of course, now people that may know me that hear that, they go, oh, Mike, no, you're
3: not. Mm -hmm. No, you're not.
1: No, I am. Like, (laughs) No, really. Maybe you don't see what's going on internally, but I am on fire. So um, I have to, like, hold something or channel energy. Mm -hmm. So, like, I need a, a podium or I need a prop, even if I don't use it. Like, I need something to, like, harness all of that. Behind a microphone, I don't get nervous at all. Nice. So where like that, that fits into the conversation, but I think it's just that that sort of the liberation of a microphone and radio and being mm-hmm. like in a safe space and uh, trusting, trusting your instincts, as it were.
0: Yeah, and it definitely changes things. Uh, one of our esteemed members of the Seattle Film Critics Society, I have wanted her on the show for years, and it just is not her thing. Like she, because yeah. even radio, even nobody is around. We are just in the studio it is still just a a disconnect there and uncomfortableness. And so I am like totally respect that Um, as much as I would love to have that voice in the show. Right. You know, I I respect that. So yeah, it is, it is different. So (laughs) uh, going from all of that radio talk and how we're going to keep things short and sweet.
1: I didn't start the timer. uh, We're good. Are we good? Okay. So the first movie. Oh, wait. Okay. Let me, let me, okay. Let me hit the timer. Tell me when. And Go. All
0: right. <laughs> the first movie review on this episode is Dark Phoenix. Oh wow! Which is how they build it until the DVD release, and then then they put X Men back in the title. I was
1: literally just going to ask: Are we reviewing this for the home video release? <laughs> I mean, a lot of these. I kind of yes. feel like they thought this would still be kind of pumping through. Maybe it's hitting second run theaters at this <laughs> no, point. No, it is done. No, we're we're as dead as disco on this one, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, nice. So, okay.
0: <laughs> Dark Phoenix. Uh, written and directed by Simon Kinberg. Oh, bless his heart. This is the finale of of this basically whole slew of X Men movies that goes back eh, about twenty years. Yeah, you know, and this is this is it. This was the swan song. Uh, funny that you said "dead as disco" because <laughs> one of the things that the X Men films have always been known for are some really cool Easter eggs, mm-hmm. some characters in the background. Jubilee has been in, like, four different movies and still is not given anything to do. Yeah. The only real Easter egg in Dark Phoenix, or character, rather, was Dazzler. And she was in this party scene outside uh, before Jean Grey goes crazy, as she has wont to do. Yes. Uh, but Dazzler is in that scene, and her power is basically she can channel sound into light. And oh. so she was a disco dancer. Yes, yes, okay. Yeah, it was pretty weird. But basically...
1: nothing other (laughs) than a a cameo that only fans would recognize. And
0: she is in like her old school disco outfit, uh, blue and white. So that was really cool. Did she
1: nod and wink to the camera and I miss it? Because that would fit. No, nothing? Okay. Nothing.
0: So this movie, Dark Phoenix, (laughs) we see the repercussions of the students now getting older and that first class that we got to know a few years ago. Yes. Essentially getting to the point of for lack of a better term, graduating out of the program and being like, you know, we're the only two left who are in this first class. Like kind of where, where are we going? What is the direction? There's this new group of students coming in, but the problem with this film, one of the problems, there are, (laughs) there are a few when you know, this is your last shot as they were making this movie. They knew that this was it. They knew that the the deal was done. Mm Mm-hmm why is it so bad? Like why? Like this is your, this is your chance. I've been
1: asking myself that for three months. I mean, (laughs) it's, it's really poorly put together. Yeah. Here's the thing. And I understand that Jean Grey has been involved Mm -hmm. in, you know, and in in the X-Men films, if this is the finale, Mm -hmm. why is it also an origin story? Yeah. Why are we, I mean, (laughs) those that know, realize that we're reaching and I, you know, not to get too far in the weeds here, but you know, there's the whole, you know, where do X-Men go in the new Disney world Mm -hmm. and Marvel and who owns what? I mean, you've got all this, this chaos and white noise in the air. People know that this is reaching some sort of an end. Like this is going to either be a launch to something else or it's going to close this chapter off. They're going to go away for a little while, come back with something that we, most people know that why does the first 30 to 40 minutes of this movie introduce us to a character we should have got to know a while ago mm-hmm. when and the
0: same origin that we have seen before? Well, exactly.
1: And that's, and, and pardon my, my dusty cobweb memories on this movie, but the timelines are all messed up, which Completely not to jump up. on what you're going to talk about, but none of this makes much sense. <laughs> no. And there are, there's like Jennifer Lawrence is in here. Michael Fassbender. They bring in Jessica Chastain mm-hmm. I'm not convinced that all of them signed up for the movie that they appear in. Like Jennifer Lawrence seems sleepwalking through part of this. She's, you know,
0: progressively in less and less makeup because she was like, Hey, I have an Oscar now. (laughs) Uh, I am not sitting in a makeup chair for eight hours a day.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, and uh,
0: (laughs) we see Quicksilver and then he gets taken out and we never see him Mm, again because like the visual effects budget of this you can tell exactly where they got cut off. Uh, they had to reshoot from what we have heard the entire third act because it was too similar to another movie that was coming out, AKA Captain Marvel. Right. So when they were almost in post production of this movie of dark Phoenix, imagine those filmmakers in the audience watching Captain Marvel being like, Oh crap. So they redid the whole thing.
1: So that's, yeah. And that's good. Not because I, Clearly, there is I mean, the movie is not great, but there is a place where it disconnects hard, mm-hmm. and nothing makes sense. And at the same time, oh, for crying out loud, oh, man! It.
0: On the first movie, <laughs> okay, so that well, that was the first one. That, that was the, the that's
1: <laughs> we just cut print and move right. on.
0: <laughs> I mean that that was our that was not our test run, but still, like to wrap it to wrap it up. Yes.
1: Go ahead. I was well. It, lots of thoughts, but basically, I will just say this: there are a few moments when I've I've sat in a theater, and I've, I you see, you see plenty of bad movies in this in this job, mm-hmm. and um, I saw this with an opening well, uh, opening night, a Thursday night audience. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the rare experience that I can go to a movie with it with a with an audience, like a paying audience, and just watch them start to calculate how bad this movie is versus the money they've spent Oof. on concessions and tickets. And it's a Thursday night and they got work tomorrow. Why mm-hmm. am I sitting here? And you could just feel that in the oh, room, God. the longer that this went on um, to its incomprehensible conclusion. So I, yeah, I mean, I, I my, 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 it's, my final it's a mess. And, it, I, and Simon yeah. Kinberg is, I don't care who did reshoots or not. He, he is, <laughs> he's not good. No.
3: At what he
0: does. One of my notes was, a boring, uninteresting mess that does nothing to enhance the story or to wrap up these films at all. For the X-Men who are always who have always been about diversity and representation and inclusion, other than two characters, everyone at the X-Mansion looks human. Right. Like we see Nightcrawler and occasionally Mystique when she is not in full makeup. And even Beast, <laughs> who again looks human for most of the movie. Right. In the school, it was like you have a bunch of human-looking kids, which granted, yes, a lot of mutants look like that in this world, but why, like, come on, like, try. And it, just, it felt like nobody was trying in this. We get aliens, like the the antagonists of the movie, we never understand what their real plot right, is. Right, and that's where, the what Jessica Chastain doing. Yeah, Jessica character. Chastain, like, so it was just, it was a mess. So, yeah, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, boy, are you in for a jump-on episode. Uh, But the rating system for the About to Review podcast, uh, there are three choices. So no letter grades, no, you know, numbers or stars or anything. The three choices are good, bad or ugly. Good film is something you came out of the theater. You were excited to talk to your friends about. You would recommend to somebody a bad film, similar to what Mike was describing, where you come out of the theater and you're like, all right, like that was a movie, but it does not (laughs) immediately like make you want to talk about it or you kind of forget about it. Ugly is a void at all costs. Uh Mike, what do you give Dark Phoenix? Which is all I'm going to call it. Not X-Men Dark Phoenix, because they abandoned that title. Yeah.
3: Ugly.
1: Yeah. No, this is this is one of the worst movies I've seen of 2019. <laughs> uh
0: I agree. I also give it an ugly. This is worse than Age of Apocalypse, which is astonishing. Ugh, like yeah apocalypse was so bad and this somehow manages again you're ending this universe and this is ha- it this is just a terrible movie and i get it phoenix rising from the ashes blah 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 slight spoiler alert and again this movie came out at this point like two months ago yeah at the end of this <clears> movie <throat> we see a phoenix in flames like no th- these moves are done let it <laughs> die Like, this is not going to rise from
1: the ashes. Done. Yeah, This is one of those movies, I'm reminded of, like, the Tom Cruise mummy, and I'm uh, thinking of just other movies, where you can tell that there's probably a good 12,000-word article that someone's (laughs) going to write someday Mm -hmm. that documents the unbelievable chaos surrounding getting Dark Phoenix to theaters, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, all of that. It just feels... Like you said, I mean it, it, earlier, it just feels cobbled together, disconnected. Yeah. Left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. Whatever cliche you want to throw on it, um, it's just it's a mess. Yeah. Magneto
0: physically moves out of the way of a helicopter blade going towards him. Yeah. Magneto, the master of magnetism yeah. and all metal, has to move out of the way. He does not move the metal. That is just one of the many things. Storm is using an umbrella. Uh, do you remember? Uh, <laughs> I forgot about yeah. that. Do you remember in, I think yeah, it was age of apocalypse <clears throat> when Magneto had been living out on the, in the woods, you know, with his family. Yeah. Soldiers find out where they are, blah, blah. Right. He killed like seven people with dog tags. Yeah. The uh, context
1: is lost, but I do remember yeah. the scene. So yeah. he
0: is freaking out and a guy's like 10 feet away. He rips off the dog tags. He proceeds to take those dog tags and slice through the necks of like six soldiers and take them out in like 60 seconds. Yes. In Dark Phoenix, he is constantly overwhelmed on a train, which is metal.
1: Like you have your weapons right.
0: all around you. Exactly. And he finds himself always in a bad situation. Ridiculous.
1: Isn't he in eight years time going to become.
3: Uh, Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In eight like, years time.
0: Like what happened in those. Like, yeah. It just, the timelines are, are just messed up. So.
3: Yeah. Sorry. Yeah.
0: All right, so the first one
1: we already went over. How many five-minute increments does each movie get? That's my <laughs> <laughs> that's my next question. Uh, just one. And okay, that is, that is uh, what we will stick to. All, all right, right, we so, ready for the next one?
0: And go. Okay, next movie: "The Dead Don't Die." Jim Jarmusch. Uh, yes, written and directed by Jim Jarmusch, who I have seen, I think, his entire director catalog. Uh, I mean, I started watching it with like Dead Man, and like Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai, back in like right. the late
1: '90s. He's a very eccentric, prolific filmmaker. Yes. Well, prolific in the he's projects the, he takes, yeah. on, not in the volume of films, because yeah. he doesn't. He's not Woody Allen, churning one out every year. He's but yeah. prolific in what he says and what he looks at for,
0: for sure. And he is a very unique director. This was his star-studded spoof of the zombie genre but it never spoofs hard enough like it never it it is so self-aware that it becomes annoying and not in that like not another teen movie or scary movie or right. even deadpool where like there are constant winks and nods to the camera
3: yeah this
0: those winks and nods to the camera are almost antagonizing like he is he is doing it to such a point Some of those are done in like in reverence where like, you know, scary movie, not on their teen movie. Like they're making fun of the genre it is in, but it is all in jest.
1: Well, and it's also that those type of movies are also taking sort of the police squad, naked gun, airplane style. Puns, one liners, psych Mm -hmm. gags, just fire thousands of jokes in 90 minutes and some will stick and the ones that do are great. Yeah. This is a little more subversive.
0: Yeah, subversive. And he is making fun of the genre to the point where it is like why did you do this movie? Like why, why did you <laughs> like, it just, it seemed mean, like mean spirited almost, which is just an odd choice because this cast is ridiculous. So Bill Murray, Adam driver, Tom Waits, Chloe Sevigny, Steve Buscemi, Danny Glover. I mean, it is insane. Well, How Caleb Landry
1: in Jones, the MVP of 2017 is in this. Right. <laughs> uh,
0: RZA is in this Tilda Swinton, I mean, top to bottom, this has so many incredible people, but it has nothing to say. Like that was interesting. That was the weird thing because it is is this weird exploration of the zombie movie mythos, but just with with almost a distaste for the genre you are
1: spoofing. So that was just odd. So, I I mean, I'm trying to think back to other Jim Jarmusch films that all have this certain air and wit about them right I mean they they, mm-hmm. they can be the comedy can run sandpapery dry right like absolutely but there's 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 humor in pretty much all of his films in mm-hmm. some capacity right whether it's sort of the you know just excellent dialogue the way it's written delivered or just some of the visuals or just some of the just things you're seeing I mean yeah. but it, he's almost I wouldn't say he's melancholy, but he's, he's got this sort of just, there's sort of this, it's heavy. His movies yes. tend to have a, <laughs> a weight about them, even when they're trying to have moments of humor or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and this has that, I mean, like there are, I'm just wondering if, 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 cause he's spoofing a zombie genre, mm-hmm. if it just doesn't quite, I mean, if the, if the idea just doesn't coalesce around his premise,
0: that might be it because there are some funny moments. And I say mm-hmm. moments. Not acts, not periods in this movie, like, moments, like, one or two lines that are funny, but it just, I I just don't know. Like, there was just this weird, yeah, disconnect with the source material, what you are spoofing, what you're trying to say in this movie.
3: Yeah.
0: Because at the end of it, it was like, okay, does he hate zombie movies? Like,
1: what... I just I never really, I could see Jim Jarmusch hating zombie movies. So could I, but then it is like
0: <laughs> so again. You just make a mean spirited film spoofing a genre you do not like. Like what is the the point of that? So that was just kind of weird. Yeah. The music in it, just like all of Jim Jarmusch's movies, the music is incredible. Mm-hmm. He always has a great ear for that. Whether he works the same, type, you know, groups, you know, of people for music directors, but so yeah, that was interesting, but. It was just, yeah, this fourth wall breaking s- zombie spoof movie.
1: It just does not really work. So one quote that um, from a review I read that I thought was interesting about this movie, what uh, it's a bit like watching a world class chef make a grilled cheese sandwich.
0: Yes. And that's absolutely.
1: from uh, Mad or sites who wrote that. I'll give that attribution. Yeah,
0: but because it does. You have this incredible cast, incredible director and a just a, a weird. Yeah. Mean spirited movie. There you uh, yeah, go. All right. That was close. Close. Uh, we even gave it an extra couple seconds. Uh, so, yeah. So my my official review for or rating, I should say, for the dead, don't die for one of my favorite directors. Uh, Jim Jarmusch is just a bad like yeah. I just. Yeah. This is not one of his films that I will go back to and try and digest in a different way. Um, I mean, Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai, you want to talk about dry like and heavy. <laughs> that movie is dense. Yeah. But I have watched it several times because it just there's something about it that is that draws me to it. This I I will I will not go back to this.
1: I'm hoping to catch up with it just to be a completist, you know, like by the end of the year. um, You know, we do this right. Like we miss things and then it's like, oh, end of the year. Like, Mm -hmm. let's let's for whatever reason, fill out a mythical list of things we didn't see and make sure we I I do want to see it just because you know, the cast and the things Mm -hmm. we've talked about, I'm curious to see what it, what it looks like. So I'm bummed I missed it, but I'm not not, not rushing to go see it or or (laughs) put it high on the list. I'll, I'll catch it when I catch it.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. All right. Next movie timer and go. Yes. Next movie is late night, uh, directed by Nisha Ganatra and written by Mindy Kaling. So Mindy Kaling, Emma Thompson are the two heavy hitters. Uh, in this movie, it has a few recognizable faces, but, Those definitely are the the two main ones. John Lithgow plays uh, Emma Thompson's husband as well. So this is a very personal story I could tell from Mindy Kaling, who is a talk about prolific writer. She's terrific. Mindy Kaling has a lot to say and has been saying it in various TV shows and movies like she is a great writer. Yeah. And so in this movie, this is basically, and I don't even really get the synopsis of the dead. Don't die, but well, basically just uh, the, really quick
1: too. I'm just yeah. thinking out loud. So Mindy Kaling breakthrough was on the office. She had oh, the, yeah. Mi- the Mindy project, mm-hmm. which was on network TV. And then I think was picked up by Hulu for a year or two. Yeah. So uh, probably that's how you would know. She was, what was her character on the office? I can't remember. Oof. That's okay. It doesn't matter. Yeah. She just, she was always in every episode, just antagonizing <laughs> everybody for yep. like the, a minute to five minutes in every, she was awesome. Anyway, continue. Yeah. Sorry.
0: Um, so yeah, so I did not give a description of The Dead Don't Die, but it is a zombie spoof movie without really a plot. So Got it. Yeah. There we go. Uh, late Night, so you have this uh, young factory worker, factory supervisor, I believe she she goes by Mindy Kaling's character, who always has this kind of dream of, of writing and comedy and everything, and she gets a chance to write on, write for Emma Thompson's Late Night Talk Show, which has been going on for, I think in the movie it was like, 18 years or 20 years. Like it is an institution Mm -hmm. like Carson and all of these other long-term things, Leno, Connor O'Brien, but it is kind of becoming stale. She has a writer's room full of, you know, these white guys who she does not even know their names.
3: Mm, Like she is
0: so disassociated with the writer. She just gets the monologue. She knows that guy, but that is about it. So she is desperately looking, you know, to get a different voice only because, she recognized she was like, ah, uh, we need somebody else. Yeah. So and it has brought to her attention that every woman they bring on staff, she hates and she fires. <laughs> so in Mindy Kaling, who gets this opportunity. She is critically, um, not critically, uh, chronically underprepared sure. for the, for this role of writing for a TV show. So you have all of these trappings and cliches that we have seen before in films like this. This is just incredibly formulaic yet lighthearted comedy. Yeah. Where, you know, here comes this young upstart working for the big wigs. And of course, you have a romance interest. And then you have Emma Thompson's character. And we start to find out more about her and her her rocky relationship and all these things. What she is going through. The thing that drives us forward are the performances. Right. Like Mindy Kaling is great. Emma Thompson is fantastic. The thing that Emma Thompson does multiple times in this movie is she cuts through the sappiness with just these barbs. And I love that because oh, it, was, yeah. it was at that point where it's just too saccharine <clears throat> sweet. You know, and she, yeah. is, she has a scene with the writers. She does not know their names. She gives them all numbers. So she just <laughs> goes around this board table. She was like, one, two, three, four, blah, blah. Of course, at some point during the movie, she wants to you know know their names. and so right. she's calling them out by names, and you have this sappy music where the you know the music is swelling. and she gets to one of them and she was like, and number six, I really you know, so she cuts through it right there without giving this
2: so interesting sappy okay. monologue. so um, does
1: does Kaling write sort of saccharin formula like is she attempting to do that for a bigger purpose, or is that just sort of the way that the story? just sort of unfolds and just it's kind of maybe like the unintentional. Story. No, it is intentional. It is. So like she is, is uh, okay.
0: Super sappy. Um, again, sappy with barbs, like both yeah. Mindy Kaling, like she does not pull punches. No. Um, neither does Emma Thompson. So I mean, it, it is smartly written, but really formulaic. Um, I hated the ending of this movie. And when I say that, I mean like literally the last two minutes of the movie. There is a decision and some choices that were made that I just really just bothers me.
1: Yeah. I know putting it in the Marvel universe is just a weird, right. Move. that was just weird. Um, <laughs>
0: I mean, I appreciate it, but
1: I mean, everything's in the Marvel universe.
0: So yeah. So it was just my overall rating for this. It was a good, like it was an enjoyable movie, Yeah, but it was just very, very sappy and, and lighthearted and formulaic, but good performances. So that kind of, I would expect that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that kind of, Saved it from falling
1: down. So I have a question. Boom. Look at that right on five minutes. Um, So what's interesting about the movie, Mm -hmm. um, Emma Thompson playing a late night talk show host who's female. Yes. Which we don't have in America. And every time... OK, every time the rare occasion that a female has been given the opportunity to host a late night talk show. Mm-hmm. It's been canceled within weeks, if not a couple of months. Yeah. So And so that gets brought up. So I was there, there yep. You go. So I'm assuming that's a, a, a buy in point for Kaling's screenplay, yeah. right? I mean, like she, there's fertile ground there to 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 build on.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it, and they make reference to she has all these Emmys and, and all of this. And so like her show is so well respected but it's still like, I mean, this idea of her getting replaced and who they would replace her with and would it be some young, you know, jockey guy, you know, and so <laughs> it plays on that. Yeah. But, but yeah, so it, it is very okay. self-aware. Interesting. In that. I mean, yeah, she, I think even she says she was like, I'm the only one who has ever done this, which is funny because nobody has ever done that, which is ridiculous in 2019.
1: I can't I actually can't wait to see it. I am a big fan of everybody. Involved, at least in the key parts. And I wanted to see this at CIF, um, the Mm -hmm. Seattle International Film Festival, because it was a centerpiece film there and I I couldn't make it, unfortunately. So,
0: yeah. Anyway. All right. Moving on to our next one. Let me go
1: over here. Boom. Five on the clock.
0: The next one is The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Ooh. So, uh, this was written and directed by Joe Talbot uh, with a story by Jimmy Fails, who plays the lead character, Jimmy Fails. Okay. In, in the movie. This movie is tremendous. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this was one that by the time we got a kind of screening link and everything for it, it already had some just really good press. And again, I try not to read reviews, but we cannot avoid bylines. It is our right. job. Like just the people that we follow on social media, we're constantly seeing bylines. And I was seeing so many festival you know, conversations about this movie. But this is just... A raw, powerful, engaging and timely story that touches on gentrification, family, pride and just the things that really matter because it has this main character, Jimmy Fails, who is in various states of of homelessness, you know, at points in his life. But his family owned this house in San Francisco and they were the last black family kind of there. They're Mm -hmm. one of the first ones. But then stuff happened with his dad and then they had to leave. And so he is constantly kind of breaking into the property and painting the house and like trying to like touch it up. And the owners of the house are like, this is not your house. Like, please leave. (laughs) And so through this all, you know, his best friend in the film who gives a stunning performance. So the actor is Jonathan Majors. And the character is Montgomery Allen. Just incredibly just raw and intimate. Uh, film. And this is based on Jimmy fails, real life. Like Joe Talbot, the director and him grew up together in San Francisco.
1: Right. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. This was
0: his life and just the two of them, like Montgomery or uh, Jonathan majors and Jimmy fails. The chemistry together is brutal and just incredible. And throughout the film, I mean, again, talking about like, formulaic type of things is these feel good stories, but this one does it in a way where it feels so intimate where we just, it felt like real life
1: and that was unique and just powerful formula, maybe in the construction of it. But from what I've, I've learned about the movie and from hearing you talk about it and other people I know that, that love capital L O V E this movie mm-hmm. formulaic perhaps in terms of just the, the, beat to beat points, but the, the story as presented in the way it's presented, not formulaic. It's something new. It's a new vision. It's, it's got new, um, new discussion points, new sensibilities about the topics it's bringing up. Um, which is the takeaway I hear from a lot of people Mm -hmm. who are just blown away by it.
0: I mean, this is within the first 30 minutes of the film, I was sitting there and I was like, this is my favorite movie of the year. Like it, it just yeah, it just felt you get to,
1: you get to that point. Where you're like, okay, don't screw it up. This I is mean, so good.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. and then it it ended, and like there, there's a culmination in the third act with just literally a lot of drama with what is happening. Right, and it is edge of your seat in the sense where you at that point are so invested in these characters, and you want the best for them. It is painful, sure, you know, watching these these interactions. Uh, Tashina Arnold is in this. Mike Epps, Rob Morgan. Nobody feels out of place. Like, everything fits. Every interaction, every conversation. Like, it was just... It was tremendous. And it was shot so simply. It reminded me of uh, Columbus from a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. Where it looks John like... Cho movie. Yeah, where it looks like the Haley camera Richardson. is bolted to the ground. Like, Colum- there are no unique right. camera tricks or anything. It is but just it's like, beautiful
1: to watch. Exactly. Yeah. Like,
0: this is just steady cam work, solid shoot, solid shots and it lets the story tell itself and it it knocked my socks off. Like it was it was yeah. absolutely incredible.
1: It's interesting a movie like this, you know, A24 will do this. They they've done it with The Farewell. They take these these intimate small films and they drop them in the middle of the summer and
3: mm-hmm.
1: they do it year after year and we're going to talk about another, you know, thing that they thought <laughs> And the timer, <laughs> but I'm 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 moving to I'm just mm-hmm. dropping a little breadcrumb for i another movie we're talking about. They they put another movie we're going to talk about, Midsummer. Mm-hmm. They they decided to hitch their wagons to that and put that in three thousand screens. Um We'll yeah. talk about that movie in a minute. Um, it's just interesting the way they go about things because I think they run the risk and it's paying off with the farewell. But yeah, it, this movie, you know, if you look at the box office, you look at it and go, ah. Oh. This only got to, you know, three, four million dollars so far. Mm-hmm. Now it's it's closing out its theatrical run feels maybe like a missed opportunity that they could have cashed in on later in the year. But at the same time, they just they just take movies like this and they just put them out there and hope yeah. they get found. Yeah. And, and um, that is what I, will, I hope I will over the course of the fall, people find this movie from what you're describing. Yeah, that sounds super important.
0: Yeah, it, it is incredible. And yeah, I, I will always appreciate a 24 for. Again, taking those risks. They have been doing that since they started a few years ago. So, yeah, The Last Black Man in San Francisco absolutely gets a good. And it it flat out is one of my favorite films of the year. The performances are just painfully good. So, and just because, yeah, they're just real.
1: Are we making a a call to Academy voters? Please remember The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) I mean,
0: if anything, screenplay. I mean, because, again, or... Maybe, uh, yeah, this would be original screenplay. Like Yeah. I mean, it might not, I don't think it would get enough attention for best actor, but best supporting actor. I mean, yeah, Jonathan Majors was phenomenal. Yeah.
1: Well, so, I, I can't wait to see it. I know. Yeah. It's a recurring theme that I've not seen, but I've seen much of what we're talking <laughs> Good. about. Good.
0: All right. Next one. Uh, next is a documentary uh, from a young upstart uh, filmmaker on his journey uh, by the name of Ron Howard.
1: Oh, it's, uh, you say it Howard? I couldn't, I didn't know how to say yeah,
0: his name. Yeah, again, he is real new. I wouldn't know uh, if it was a V in the last <laughs> right. name. or Pavard. Pavard, yes. Uh, okay. So this, this documentary <laughs> uh, directed by Ron Howard uh, is Pavarotti about the life and times of Luciano Pavarotti. Oh, that guy. Right, that guy. And this was an interesting documentary. So this was actually one of those Fathom events where they... This weird, like, I, I like what they do with stage productions. Fathom Events is a mystery to me. It by is, the way. I do not understand it. Genuinely do not understand it. When they do, they will do plays from the London stage and simulcast them yep. worldwide. They will do operas. They will do
1: musicals. They will pick up anime films yep. that are really obscure. Yep. And do those. They will do documentaries. It just, they do Christian movies. They do concert films. Yeah. I, I can't get a read on anything. That, <laughs> no. And I track that for our film critics society. Mm-hmm. Cause all those things they show they first count. run count to our, and I'm like, what are you running this week? Dirty dancing. What? Why? Okay. Hello. Yeah. I mean, it, anyway, sorry. And, Fathom uh, events yeah. well, is a conundrum. And almost all of the Fathom events, they have
0: like either an introduction from the director or something. Yeah. And that this was no different. Ron Howard, you know, is up there and he was like, I want to give you the, First look at this documentary, Pavarotti and everything. I was the youngest person in this audience <laughs> by about 30 years. Yeah. Uh, yeah, at, at least. Um, and there were like 30 of us, 50 I've, of us. I've in, had in those the moments.
1: Yeah, I know what that's like.
0: Uh, but this documentary was it was fascinating. And it made me realize that going into this film, I knew of Pavarotti. Yeah. But I really did not know much about Pavarotti. Pavarotti.
1: He is kind of a mystery to me as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Growing up, like, I definitely remember his music. My mom was a huge opera fan. That was what we listened to on road trips and, and all of these things. So I, re- I remember him. Like, I know the music, but seeing his life was fascinating. Yeah. I mean, he was born in 1935 and died in 2007. He talked about how when his family fled part the part of Italy where they were during World War Two, like he as a child was seeing people mowed down by gunfire, seeing people hung in the streets. Right. Like this is something and again, like I, when I remember him, like he was just the large tenor of the three tenors and yes. all these things. And he was always so happy and he was, just had this joy and exuberance about him. Yeah. Watching this, I was like, Good gosh, like where like where he was able to to go from where he came from was just incredible. And he talked about how, or they talked about, cause it was slightly after his death, the charity work that he got into pretty much. He stopped focusing on music for the last ugh, 15 years of his life and really just focused on charity work. And a lot of it was about Bosnia during that time, right. During Sarajevo where he was just making sure that no child would have to go through what he went through as a kid Like it was, that was powerful. I
1: remember there was, was it a concert or was it an album? Something with Bono and you 2 that, yeah. I mean, I just, but I remember that. I know you kind of, you kind of laugh because Bono's never seen a, uh, you know, a tragedy he can't run to. Yeah. But um, I do remember it being significant because it was one of those few times where those worlds collided, you know, like opera, classical crossover music colliding with contemporary rock and, and, and pop music. They just didn't, they just didn't meet. They were magnets, you know, opposite one another. And this was a way to, that it kind of unify. I just remember that.
0: Mm -hmm. And that was something Pavarotti still to this day is arguably, if you talk to people about like, Oh, do you know any opera music or do you know anything like that? You know, the three tenors and Pavarotti, most people, they at least know of him because of that kind of unification you would try and do. And they talked about that concert. Bono has a funny story in the documentary about that, where Everybody in the music world had known about Pavarotti at that point because he had multi, you know, million dollar selling records. And he called Bono and they were like, oh, you know, you know, that he wants you in the studio to work on a song with him and blah, blah. blah. And he was like, oh, we can't. And he was like, no, he's going to be there in an hour. <laughs> and he's bon- coming to yeah, you. And Bono was like, uh, what? And so Pavarotti shows up, takes them to the studio.
1: Oh,
3: my.
0: I was like, all right,
1: here we go. You're not saying no to Luciano no. Pavarotti. <laughs>
0: So it was just, it was a really fascinating and just really well-structured documentary. This Ron Howard kid, I mean, he has a future. Does he
1: get a future? Yeah. This, um, do they? Oh, no. The <laughs> Getting better, though. We didn't you account know? for the Q&A portion of our. <laughs> right. Um, conventional talking head format, or is it yes. more? Oh, it is. Okay. Uh, very much so. Which there's, isn't bad, yeah, but it's just documentaries there, don't always have to be
0: that. True. There's that a lot of, what I love about this, same with a lot of documentaries and anything, biopics that do this, so much archival footage right? of not just it's... the performances of when he was in his 20s and 30s, you know, in these tiny theaters, but also just the candid archival footage of him in his house, you know, with his first wife and then second wife and, you know, kids. I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was incredible. And one of our colleagues also, I will not name names, has a problem <laughs> with documentaries that do not have any teeth. Like with Won't You Be My Neighbor... How there was no like there is no controversy with Mister Rogers. Oh, like there is just not. It is just he was genuinely just a great person.
3: Right. With
0: this, with Pavarotti, it gets dark. Like he there he you know had some affairs, and especially back then in Italy, yeah, with the Pope as a fan of yours, like it was bad, you know, for him and the Italian people. Just so it was really interesting, and it dove into it. It did not shy away from anything. It showed
1: it. That's good.
0: So. But yeah, so Pavarotti the documentary by Ron Howard uh, gets a good from me.
1: Does it talk true. about his movie that he made? I mention not very much. Oh, no. let's yeah, let's. That's if you want to see a bad movie, <laughs> I think it's called Giorgio or something. Yes, Giorgio, I think is what it's called. No, oh, but it is atrocious and awesome all at the same time. Yeah, but I mean, he
0: he loved being in front of people. He yeah, lo- loved performing. Showman. And, so yeah. Uh, okay. So moving right along. Oh, okay. Go. Uh, next one is men in black international. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Yes. Uh, the fourth film in the men in black, uh, cinematic
1: universe. Oh, what a joy this was to watch.
0: Uh, so this is directed by F Gary gray, a legitimate, great director, uh, Chris Hemsworth,
1: Tessa Thompson. How did this not work?
0: Uh, and Kamal Nanjiani did the voice of Pawnee the Little Soldier. So, okay, Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson have some of the best on-screen chemistry of any kind of recent duo we have seen. Ever since Thor Ragnarok, uh-huh. like the two of them, it just it works. Watching interviews with the two of them, like you can tell it is genuine. Like they they really don't want fake it.
2: Yes,
1: um, I agree.
0: And in this. I do not know why there's such a disconnect between them. Like there is something, the moments where it is just the two of them still kind of work, but everything around them does not. And and that is weird.
1: My, my thought watching it is I've not seen two more talented people in recent memory work so hard to get something over with an audience Mm. that is so bad. Yeah, and, and 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 what I mean by that is, I can see them together, and within ten seconds I can tell they have the type of chemistry that is sort of like we socialize with each other when we're not making the movies, Absolutely. right? We'll vacation together, we'll be around each other, we'll make sure you know. I can tell they're friends. Mm-hmm. I can tell that they have affection for each other on a personal level. This movie despite everything it tries to do does not undo that. Like you can see them getting along and and Mm -hmm. having a ball, but I think they're having a ball because at some point they realize this is a disaster. Let's make the best we can out of this. Cause we're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. We still got, you know, we can still hang out with, uh, you know, the Marvel characters. We, we, we're good here. Mm -hmm. Let's do the best we can with this and let's just get out with some dignity. And they do that. Mm hmm but if this doesn't kill the men in black idea, totally dead. Yeah. This is a bad movie. And, and I yeah. don't mean to like, you know, pile on to dark. Phoenix. This is a bad movie. It is structured poorly. Mm-hmm. It is badly conceived. It has yeah. no it,
0: real antagonist other than it, this it, innocuous <clears throat> hive that we never get any story of. It
1: rests on a plot twist that mm-hmm. clearly was either not decided. Like, when it happens, it feels so artificial and so phony that I either, watching it unfold, and I'm not going to spoil it, mm-hmm. I, I, I should, but I won't, <laughs> because it involves a character that you meet at the very beginning, who I I didn't realize it was even in the movie, mm-hmm. um, but when this character shows up, you either instantly realize that something with this character is going to happen, But you don't want it to because that's Mm -hmm. so tired and it's this formula. Then when it does, you start to think to yourself, did this character turn because the studio felt like, oh, we we got we got to have something else in here. And it felt like other forces again, like with Dark Phoenix coming in and saying, Mm -hmm. no, no, go back. Because it it doesn't feel genuine. Nothing in this movie feels genuine other than the chemistry. Tessa Thompson, Chris Hemsworth trying to get through this
3: thing.
0: Yeah, I mean there are there is a main antagonist in this movie, this innocuous hive that has polluted the Les Twins, which is this phenomenal breakdancing or not just breakdancing, dancing twins from, you know, I think they're French. Like, but it, it kind of possesses them, but we never understand, we're never <laughs> given an understanding of what is actually happening. And we have this subplot going on that you can see a mile away. And it just, yeah, none of it really clicks. And the thing that bothered me the most, the great thing about the first one, especially the first Men in Black, practical effects. It felt tangible. It felt real, like the aliens were there. Almost all of the aliens in this are CGI. And you can tell it just feels plasticky. It feels disconnected. Right. And that just like that takes away from one of the strengths of this franchise is that practical effects
1: and it just, it failed. Well, and the other thing too, they, they they build. So Kumail Nanjiani, you Mm -hmm. mentioned is the voice of a character in this, a little alien sidekick Mm -hmm. that they, they inherit basically. He's funny. Yeah. But he's also kind of in a whole different movie. Useless. Yeah. And so thank you. (laughs) I was just waiting for that. Right. (laughs) So ultimately I just remember sitting in the theater and again, watching this with an audience and just the silence being so deafening Ooh. except one guy of course who thought this was, thought this was the funniest movie he'd ever seen mm-hmm. but of the 10 or 12 of us there because it was like an early Thursday afternoon night thing whatever I don't remember what time it was um, he's having a time of his life and no one else is enjoying this yes. in fact people are visibly shifting in their seats and frustrated and I think it's just there is no assemblage of what men in black was mm-hmm. anywhere in this movie. It, it, it lacks any inspiration. It's not funny. It's just nothing connected to the source material other than the name. Yeah. And it's a waste.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Uh, my official rating is I give it a bad and not an ugly because of the chemistry of Tess Thompson and Chris Hemsworth. Like they are great, but this movie is just, a mess, a complete mess. So I gave it a bad, nearly an ugly.
1: I love Chris, Tom- uh, Chris Hemsworth, Tessa Thompson. It's an ugly for me. Yeah, it is. And that is fair. Bless their hearts for trying. <laughs> uh, fair. Makes me love them all the much more.
0: Right. All right. Moving on to the next. And, I would say we should put the timer to three minutes because I want to get through more of these. But we yeah. will just uh, we just cut through and uh, go from there. All right. Start the timer. Boom. And Next one is Annabelle comes home.
1: Oh, this one, yes. Okay, yeah. Directed
0: by Gary Dabberman. Um This is his first directing role. Yes, but he wrote Annabelle, and he wrote Annabelle Creation, or he has a writing credit on that. I'm not sure exactly how much yeah he got, or if it was just his creation. Um, I hated Annabelle Creation, by the way. I, I really liked. On, I it. am on an island on that. It, but I that blew me away with how good it was. Hated Annabelle Creation. Oh, so good. Uh, But Annabelle comes home, Yeah, uh, takes the story further. Uh, We are now, I guess, quote unquote, modern day with the current uh, Warren family. I say that because the last time we saw Ed and Lorraine Warren in their own movie, in a Conjuring movie, it was like the 70s.
1: I thought this took place in the 70s.
0: It does, but I'm saying like this this brings
1: us... To their sort of, yeah,
0: I got it. Yeah, to the the Conjuring universe present day, which is about the 70s. Yes,
1: yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right.
0: So this takes place in the home of Ed and Lorraine Warren, whose daughter uh, is Judy Warren. And of course she has, you know, she grows up in this house where there is a whole basement room full of all of these (laughs) relics where a priest comes in once a week and blesses stuff. Uh, Vera Formiga, Patrick Wilson return as Ed and Lorraine Warren. McKenna Grace is Judy Warren, their daughter. This young, young actor, Judy Warren, she is fantastic. It's, I really yeah, like McKenna Grace. Yeah. yeah. I really like McKenna Grace. Um, this movie is essentially a haunted house story it's because all, yeah, as it, as all it is, yeah, as it happens in the movie, very similar to a lot of eighties horror movie tropes, you know, the high school kids come over, the cool kids, and they want to hang out.
1: It's the, it's the teenage babysitter in the haunted house Absolutely. premise. Absolutely. That countless movies have been built on.
0: Yep. And, of course, one of them goes into this room that she is not supposed to go into, touches things she is not supposed to touch, unleashes Annabelle, which, of course, is behind this protective glass, and then all hell literally <laughs> breaks loose.
1: Exactly.
0: Uh, this movie, again, like, especially on the back of Men in Black... When the previous movies in this universe, The Nun and La Llorona, went down the CGI path, mm. this one brought it right back to practical effects. It does. Yeah, and you're right. And it works. Other than a ghost werewolf um, that we never really see, which is kind of made of this smoke monster thing, everything else is Loud practical. Exhale. Yeah. Right. But everything else is, is practical. And just like what they do in the other movies in the Conjuring universe— this sets the stage for, like, four other Conjuring movies that they could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a, were- a ghost werewolf, the fairy man, a samurai ghost, which, of all of these, <laughs> give me a samurai ghost movie. I know movie. that mo- the... <laughs> Oh, my gosh.
1: He, yeah. That character, however scant his screen time is in this movie- Loved it. ...is the best thing about the movie. Because it's so- it's so interesting. It like, is. Like like I know we got a fairy man who, who gets like a couple scenes and he's supposed mm-hmm. to be super creepy, cool, yeah, neat. What's going on in the in the armor? Like that yeah. like there's a scene, I don't know if it's a spoiler or not, but but when that thing becomes kind of sentient and mm-hmm. someone connects to it, there's a whole lot of sound effect going on yeah. from that armor. We've got it sounds like death and destruction mm-hmm. and war and what is happening. It's all in Japanese and yes. you're hearing the stuff, and I'm like And it takes it's like what, ten seconds? Yep love it and the, and the person is like petrified and they can't move mm-hmm. and that's us because we're like well this is something interesting and unique yeah the thing that
0: this movie did and again we have seen we have been in the conjuring universe now for about what, what 10 years oh, almost yeah it's a decade at <laughs> least you know something yeah. like that this movie you can feel the audience tension you can feel like their tension they're sitting there like to have that and not just do an immediate jump scare over and over like they did with the nun, when you just kind of build on it and you feel like everybody around us, you just felt that like, and they held it. That was incredible.
1: So for me, and mm-hmm. I, again on an island, Annabelle creation was jump scare porn to me. That's okay. I, and, I, and I got and I got angry with it because. I wanted it to be better. I mm-hmm. wanted it to be not be as lazy because there were two really great kid performances powering yeah, that movie. Absolutely. And I was mad because I felt like, and this is completely narcissistic, that I was the only one in the room going, do you not see what you have in front of you? Yeah. Use that instead of just relying on cheap-ass jump scares and just like that sort of YouTube video scare tactic that all these movies, not all these Conjuring movies, Mm -hmm. but born out of the success of The Conjuring and all these other, you know. So I appreciate that this movie doesn't rely on those and holds back Mm -hmm. and saves them for when they matter. Yeah, And there's only a couple, well, maybe more than a couple, but there's only a couple of moments that really involve sort of the jump scares. I mean, you do get like the shadow in the background and some things around... But the actual jump scare moments are muted and therefore are effective. Exactly. Because, you know, we're not even like teasing them. We're not even like, oh. de- you know, because that's, that's the other thing is these movies, people think that it's all about the score building and mm-hmm. the not delivering of the scare that is just as effective as when you, you know, pop something in front of someone's face. Right. Well no, the reality is, is if you see enough of these movies... You just you get it. You get numb yeah. to it because you're like, okay, oh, bait and switch. Fun. Cool. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Oh, another one. Here we go. Oh, you got me. <laughs> yep. More popcorn. You know, you just, it loses all its of effectiveness. So when you go back to something practical, even though this is a formula movie that we've also seen lots mm-hmm. and lots of times, um, there's just a sort of a sense of, of it being refreshed that I actually like. And yeah. so I'm again on an Island that I like this movie better than the one before it, Annabelle Creation. Hmm. Although I don't, I mean, I don't, there's problems with this movie. It's not a right. perfect horror movie by any stretch, but it's it's fun. It's yeah. a, it's a throwback. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like something that was on the video store that I worked in um, when I was in high school. You know, that yeah. you just pluck out and watch, and you know, enjoy it for what it is. And
0: it still does its job of connecting in a in a logical progression to the Conjuring universe as a whole. Yeah, it is not. Like La Llorona, which was ham-fisted. The Nun, which was ham-fisted. Oh, those are both so bad. Like, but this one, it makes sense. All of those little connections throughout the movie to the greater Conjuring universe makes sense. Yeah. Like, it just feels, yeah, just, just connected. That was really good. Vera Formiga, I have said it before, whether it is her or her agent, I applaud her <laughs> for doing four to five movies a year where she is on set for about 12 hours.
1: I want to look, does she not get, I'm going to look as we quote unquote wrap this up, but mm-hmm. does she not get top billing? Oh, she in this is movie?
0: on IMDb. She is.
1: That's what, well, that's yeah. what I'm wondering. Yeah. On the cast list because she's in this movie. Well, less than that time. She's only oh, 10 minutes at most. And there's yeah. Top, top billing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and so good for her. She has, yeah. she has been doing this for like two years, two or three years where she does like, yeah, three movies where she was like, cool. I'll do six hours during a night scene to get what I need and six hours during a day scene. Cool. See you later. Yeah. I love and it's, it. it's just done. So good for her. This did end with, and we were wondering about this as the credits roll, if they're going to do any homage to Lorraine uh, Warren, who recently passed away. Oh, right. Yeah. And so in the credits, it actually showed pictures of her and everything. That was great because as fantastical as these movies are, these are like there was a real family that went through some of these things again in a fictional, you know, fictionalized world of movies, but,
1: but it's r- nice th- to ground these things in some yeah. reality, you know, that so I just knock over the console here. <laughs> right. Um, you know, that whether you believe that their work was, was real or genuine or just, you know, fabricated mm-hmm. to get attention, Wh- whatever, wherever you fall on that, you can't, at least you have a tangible, yes, evidentiary example that this is rooted in something, mm-hmm. you know, someone did this work. Yeah, so it's so a nice I, touch.
0: I I really liked that. So my official rating for Annabelle Comes Home is is a good. I really really enjoyed this because after the Nun and La Llorona, I was pretty much done with the Conjuring universe. This brought me right back. Yeah, like this. I'm excited to see what is next. I believe the Ferryman is the next movie we are getting. Mm. Um, but man, I want that Samurai Ghost movie. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm with you on that. Um. I guess I'm going to go with a good, you know, I, I gave it a three out of five star okay. review. Yeah. So I'm not over the moon excited about it because it's kind of light for what it is. I mean, it's, it's, a, again, it relies on formula and tropes yeah, and things that, that are not original. Um, but I do think it steers the ship back around for me personally. Uh, and there's a lot of different threads this thing could go in. Yeah, And so for that, I will give it a
0: good. Fantastic. All right, I'm actually going to change the timer okay. to three minutes. All right, uh, to see if we can see if we can make this happen. All right, all right. And what do we got next? Go. Next movie is The Art of Self Defense. Oh, <laughs> um, oh. Written and directed by Riley Stearns.
1: Oh, uh, Riley Stearns is an interesting dude.
0: He is. Uh, his movie Fault from from a few years or a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, a lot of people loved it. A lot of people really, really loved that. (laughs) Um, But we're not talking about that. Nope. The Art of Self-Defense is the darkest of dark comedies. Like, when I saw this, I did not expect to laugh as much as I did. Like, this was, like, belly laugh funny in the most uncomfortable way. Yeah. Like, this was something where I'm laughing so hard, and the situation is just so wrong that I'm laughing at but it is a very, very dark comedy starring Jesse Eisenberg, Alessandro Nivolo, who is fantastic. Um, and I was—I do not know how to pronounce her name.
1: Imogen, Imogen Poots. Imogen.
0: Okay. Uh, Imogen Poots. And yeah, so basically.
1: Basically the lone woman in this movie, he, which is yeah. important.
0: Which is important because this definitely, in a very uh, in-your-face way, tackles toxic masculinity. <laughs> uh, yeah. In a very in-your-face, brutal way way. Uh it does that. The thing with this movie, Eisenberg, Jesse Eisenberg is at his most Eisenbergiest. Yeah. Like he takes it to eleven.
1: I kind of love it though.
0: It I- works. Like for this character, for this eccentric character who works a regular desk job, is super awkward and uncomfortable, does not know how to communicate with his office mates. <laughs> who are horrible. Who are terrible people. Yes. Um he gets attacked, you know, at at night and then Decides to go to self-defense class, which is where he meets Alessandro Nivolo and Imogen Poots and goes on this next phase of his journey. And well, he, it is painful
1: to watch. Well, he wants to. I've, I'm going to butcher the line. It's a great line, though, where he says he's asked. I think Nivola asks him, why, why do you want to take these classes? Like, mm-hmm. what, what are you here for? Because he's he's an incredibly timid, meek, yes. awkward personality who is the last person, which is the sort of the gig, you know, it's the joke of the movie is like, he's the last person that you would expect to go, you know, take self-defense classes and karate and all that. Um, but he's, he, what is the line? His line is, I want to learn. I want to become the thing that intimidates me. Something like that. Mm-hmm. He says something like that. I want to, I want to learn how to become the thing that intimidates me, Yeah, which is a really powerful line. It is. In the context of the movie, because this movie is all about go for broke bro culture until it's not. And that's where Imogen Poots becomes super important in the movie, Um, because the movie flips a little bit Mm -hmm. um, in the I don't know if it's the second half. I don't know if it's an act, but there's a moment where everything kind of pivots around and you realize how important (laughs) wow, that was a fast three minutes. That is a fast three minutes, but but I like it. No, it's good. How important her character is in this whole world that's built around just bro culture and masculinity and how fragile it is. Yeah. And (laughs) movies don't like to show us that. And this movie, for mostly good and some bad, Mm -hmm. shows us it just puts it out there and it, and someone I know who was dying to see this movie saw it and hated it. Interesting. And I think it's because it hit too close to home and mm. that's not because this person is a misogynist. Right. I think though, but just
0: the tones like, cause again, they lean into it hard. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs>
1: it's, it's, they punch it like, you know, they punch you like you're in a fight. Yeah. Um, And they punch back and movies don't, stories don't often punch back at, these sort of institutions of like masculinity that we just accept, we dismiss or we accept yeah. or whatever we do with it. Whenever we're presented with toxic masculinity as a concept, it's kind of like white privilege. Mm-hmm. A lot of people just go, no, nah, no. And they just shove it away. <laughs> right. Well, this movie won't let you shove it away, mm-hmm. but it also, you know, so it hangs itself out there and, and I appreciate the boldness of it. Mm-hmm. Even if, the last 15 minutes are a complete mind beep because that movie,
0: (laughs) like again, this movie, I, 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 again, I laughed more than I thought I would. But when you really stop to think about like, why am I, what am I truly laughing at? And it is this hyper real environment of like, no real conversations like this are happening all over the place. Right. You know, in that toxic masculinity culture. And it just like, so you're watching it and laughing at it and then being like, no, this is real. So, yeah, uh, The Art of Self-Defense, um, I gave a good to. It really surprised me. I went into this. Again, I'm not a huge Jesse Eisenberg fan, but his Eisenbergness just crushed it. Like It, it fit perfectly with this character in this movie.
1: It's a, it's a good for me as well. Um, it's not for everybody. No. <laughs> and I can't just sit here and say, if there's one movie to see. <laughs> but I would tell you that if you're at all interested in it, just let it wash over you and think about what it's talking about. Assuming that you don't completely check out when the movie goes bonkers in the last act because yep. you might not be ready for where it goes. But everything up to that point, solid.
0: Nice. Cool. All right. Next three-minute clock. Okay. Go. And- Go uh next one. Speaking of hyper real bonkers adventures. Yeah. This is Midsummer. Oh my god. Uh by Ari Aster, the director of Hereditary.
1: I'm told the nicest guy making movies in the world. Is he really? That's what I've heard. Okay.
0: Uh he is coming off of the incredible success of Hereditary. Yep. Which won a Seattle
1: Film Critic Society Award for
0: the Because she was incredible. Like mm-hmm. Hereditary is a film that I, I have not gone back to a lot. You know, and watched it from beginning to end. But that is a tremendous movie. Like it is a solid horror film.
1: Mostly.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh <laughs> Midsummer <laughs> is his follow-up. Uh where basically we get Florence Pugh, who is incredible. Yes. He already asked her like if he is casting these or his casting director is solid.
1: Everyone who loves Tony Collette and Hereditary will should love Florence Pugh in Midsummer. Yeah, they're, absolutely. They're not the same performance they're very different mm-hmm. but they are equally as impressive and powerful
0: yeah so this movie takes place in i forget was it Finland
1: so, uh, Sweden sure let me look uh,
0: that's <laughs> one, one of the Scandinavian countries Sweden Sweden uh, where they go for this midsummer festival spoiler alert never go to a <laughs> festival in the Scandinavian country that you do not know everything about have you not seen the wicker man
1: oh
3: Pe- and so, of course, good old Pele,
1: right? Inviting his buddies from grad school to go to Sweden, you suckers. Uh, um,
0: so, of course, as soon as they get there, literally, like as they get there, things start going haywire. They start taking drugs nearly immediately. Yeah. I loved the way those scenes were filmed. This uh, movie
1: looks amazing. Let, let's this be clear. I, flat out, it gorgeous. is shot gorgeous. Yeah. It, it is unlike. It's it's one of the best shot films of the year for sure.
0: I mean, yeah, cinematography is stunning from just bleak winter stuff to bright like ultraviolet almost mm-hmm. colors of this festival like the color design and cinematography is fantastic. What this reminds me of. Not everything that is beautiful is good. Yes. I disconnected from this movie very quickly in ways that I did not think I would. It did not work for me. And there are so Can many people.
1: T- see, this is, I love the idea of the three minute clock, mm-hmm. but I have.
0: Yeah. This, would this, this could take so, 30 minutes, here's but the it, thing. it is not.
1: I know it's yeah. not, it's not feasible to do that, but I'm curious where you disconnected with it. Cause for me, yeah. there was a significant moment in the movie that, was so off-putting for the length of time and the graphic nature of what was depicted that it took me completely out of the movie. And I knew without knowing Mm -hmm. this is only going to descend into more chaos, madness, gore, violence, whatever. And to be proven right about that, is frustrating and, and it, it's unnecessary. So, so I'm curious there, are, there are
0: two scenes that I can think of that you are thinking of, and I will go, I will describe them in vague detail. Was there a cliff involved? Yes. Okay. There we go. Yeah. So, and that is early, like that is early second act of this movie. Um, yeah. But yeah. I, so that, that was part of it. it just, again, I, I struggled with this movie. And so I, I talked about this on cinema squabble yeah. um, a few weeks ago the people who are going to this movie because they want really jacked up horror and they want to see all this. I'm not going to say are going to love it because this movie already came out a while ago and I have read some of the reviews. There are some, especially local critics who absolutely loved it, put at the top of their list so far this year. I just, it, this movie angered me is, is too strong of a word. It just, it, bothered me like it just does not
1: do anything it it bothered me in a way not in a good way like yes the takeaway is i thought about this movie for a long time after i watched it. absolutely and largely it was because i was seeing those same clips and bylines that you were and i wanted Mm -hmm. to know what i missed yeah because i sat there for two hours and 27 ish minutes yeah growing increasingly frustrated and agitated yep with a movie that felt like it was pushing everybody that it invited to the party off to the sides and to the margins of the room and trying to just find it's, it's just a handful of people to speak to. And that is aggravating because Mm -hmm. (laughs) you have created an, uh, there's just so much to this movie that, that again, three or four or five minutes doesn't lend itself to, but the bigger picture is, This has all the potential to be a really interesting, really fascinating movie. And from a technical standpoint, it's masterfully put together. Yes. To the point where I'm looking at my review as we're talking, and I gave it a three out of five star review, and I don't like this movie. I really don't. And Mm -hmm. the reason I don't like it is because it's unnecessarily too much. It goes places too long, too far. And to me, the shock and awe of, I'll say... Mallet, Mm -hmm. just leave that ambiguous. Yep. The shock and awe of that sequence, coupled with things that happen later in the movie, it becomes so over the top and ridiculous that the payoff that it's going for is so dead to me Mm -hmm. that I just want out. Like it's not even fun. Yep. And I've watched a ton of horror. You watch a ton of horror. We hang with a lot of good to bad mediocre horror movies. I don't know what this was. Nope. It tries to be super cool it it lo- it feels arrogant to me at times and mm-hmm. and I just I, re- I I reject that because you don't have to be that way to be effective in telling a story and that's kind of where I got to with hereditary although I do like it up to that last act but again it is empty and hollow to me this movie just increasingly got denser and deeper down a rabbit hole mm-hmm. that was completely uninteresting to me
0: yeah so this movie, this and this is weird for me to say because I agree with a lot of what you're saying and everything, beautifully, masterfully shot. The score with traditional yeah. Scandinavian music that it starts off with, like I loved that and I connected with that. But I got to give this an ugly because I think yeah. there the certain genre of, the people who love this genre specifically are going to and have loved it. This is a movie that I have found it almost impossible to recommend to anybody since I saw it two months ago.
1: Well, I know people that went and saw it and have walked out. I do. I, yeah. And I don't say that to be like, I know people who walked out of a movie. Good people that go to 20, 30 movies a year were like, no, yeah. no, I don't want this. And they left.
0: Yeah. And so I, I, part of me hates giving it an ugly because Ari Aster as a director, fantastic. The writing of this movie and the structure of the movie does not make sense, but my goodness, is it not beautiful?
1: Like, yeah. But but my question going forward, which is not a popular one, is what is the purpose? What what is the purpose he's going for with these movies? Yeah. Because he's obviously he's got a sort of a psychological bend on the things he's trying to do. Yeah. He's thinking bigger and broader and more ambitious than just making horror movies. But at some point, like. Where are you going with your ideas and your thoughts and your concepts? Because you could accomplish so much by doing so much less. Yeah, and I feel like Hereditary was a big enough hit and surprised enough people that maybe whoever was in charge and signing his paychecks were like, "Whatever you need, buddy." Oh, that trust you can put. It's is, only yeah. your second feature. Go for it. Absolutely, is, is what this, this feels is like. This is brilliant, and then it kind of tanked. It's made not even a yeah. half of what Hereditary made, and. Here we are. Everyone calls him a visionary and I'm left going, who's he making movies for? So Yeah.
0: Fair. So your official rating? Bad. Okay. Not an ugly. Not an ugly. Yeah.
1: Okay. I can't, there's just, I can't go to ugly, but.
0: The only reason I I did is because this is a movie I never plan on watching again and it has almost impossible to recommend.
1: There's ugliness in it.
0: Yes. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're definitely.
1: Gleefully ugly yep. at times, but yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Moving on. Yeah. Uh, start the timer, please. Yep. Boom. Go. Spider-Man far from home. Never heard of it. Directed by John Watts, who directed Spider-Man
1: homecoming. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Is this got that British kid trying to be American? playing it does the Spider-Man indeed. kid. Oh, yeah. Tom Holland. Hey, he's fun.
0: Uh, this is the first post <laughs> post-Endgame film of the Marvel cinematic universe <sighs> yeah. Yeah. where we finally get to see the repercussions as to what happened. Uh, With what we call the snap and what in universe they call the blip, because not many people know that Thanos actually snapped his fingers and all of that. So they call it the blip when half the world disappeared and then came back, you know, a certain time later. Yeah. They address it right away. Brilliantly. Brilliantly in the beginning with like the student news program (laughs) that so I was on student and student news program in middle school. I was the first one to actually like start. The program. Were you telling me about this? Yeah. Uh, wake up, East Valley is what it was. Outstanding. Uh, ridiculous. Um, is so, any of that on YouTube? Pff, no, this. <laughs> that, that was yeah. Early. I actually called the school. He at just one went point. pale when I asked that right. question. By the way, I called the school at one point to see if they have any tapes of it because that would be a trip. Yeah. Uh, but I have no idea. Anyway, so it starts off with the student news program mm-hmm. explaining things. With you have Betty Brandt. Betsy Braddock, who you know is a great character from the comics, she is the peppy one who is excited to tell the story, and then you have like the disinterested <laughs> uh, co-anchor. So, and he is like, "Why are we having to go back to school?" Right. He was like, what? "You know, really funny." But the crux of this movie is they go on this big trip, this big kind of junior year trip, I guess,
1: end of school year. Yeah, in, end yeah. of school
0: trip to Europe. The plot of this movie, as much as I love Spider-Man and these Marvel movies. This is the weakest plot of any of the Marvel movies yeah. in a very long time because it just it literally is just kids on a school trip and then Mysterio shows up and then they have to figure out, oh, is this good guy, bad guy? And if so, blah, 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 blah. So the plot, very loose. So I'm not going to focus on that. The action was great. Tom Holland is Peter Parker Spider-Man. Yep. Like it just it Perfect works. Perfect casting. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal Mysterio. You took Mysterio, which is a B or C grade villain, and made him an immediate threat. Like yeah. The, his smoke and mirrors that you get in the comics is incredible how they manifest in this movie. But the movie, I mean, yeah, the plot is just paper thin. I mean, it really is just only there to progress the Mysterio stuff forward. And even that is not super interesting. Yeah. Uh, but it looks incredible the action is incredible the casting is always perfect for these movies and post end game this does definitely send us in a direction that I am interested in so uh look at that that was actually three minutes and i and I'm pretty much done with with my thoughts on it uh, but, but yeah this I mean I gave this movie. this is a good absolutely yeah. like this is a summertime popcorn marvel movie that has moments of intensity but it just This is just a fun movie.
1: I'll just say this. I'm going to lose all indie credibility for not liking Midsummer and loving spider From Home. Yeah. This, you're right. It's paper thin. It, you, you know exactly for the most part where everything's going. Yep. They do handle a twist extremely cleverly. I thought they, they retrograde it back into the franchise. I thought, you know, with a few little doctored footage and some other things, I was like, Oh, this is pretty clever how they did it. Here's the thing this is so likable mm-hmm. and it's not likable in a disingenuous way. So it works. Holland works. His relationship with uh, the character played by Zendaya yeah. works. She's terrific. She's kind of the secret ace in the hole in this whole movie. Yeah. And um,
0: I love her consistency. Yeah. Like yeah. that is something that, again, with these tropes of high school teenagers and blah, blah, like from her first appearance in Spider-Man homecoming to far from home, like she still is that tough as nails not wanting to let anybody in, you know, sensitive, but also just she flips it on people right away to not show that, right? you know, soft side. But, yeah, so, I, no, her character and consistency is phenomenal.
1: And, and the well, last thing I'll say, because everyone has seen this movie by now, but mm-hmm. what I really appreciate about it is that there is so many trap doors where you can just make this all focused on on Peter Parker mm-hmm. and leave all these characters to the margins. You can, you can, you can put your focus in places that, that speak to a bigger universe and, and all the, this movie gives balance in a way that I, I didn't expect it to. I was sort of afraid yeah. that with Tom Holland's big success now, and that this is going to be singularly focused maybe with him and whoever the villain is and all that, this actually balances and spreads the wealth really well. Other than you know, a couple, maybe the aunt may, stuff yeah, yeah whatever that's for future probably but Exa- yeah but overall this is just so well made and so likable I, I i was smiling ear to ear i had a thoroughly enjoyed every
0: every moment of it fantastic so i take that as a good yeah what let's mean? go with a good fantastic whatever all right next moving, moving right along the docket uh speaking of silly throwaway summer comedies mm-hmm. stuber Oh. Uh, directed by Michael Douse. Is this still in theaters? Uh, I doubt it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> written by- I, I think it just opened like three, four weeks ago. Yeah. Written by Tripper Clancy, mm. uh, starring Dave- What's up, Batista. Trips? Yeah, Dave Bautista, uh Kamal Nanciani, Mira Sorvino, Natalie Morales, uh, and one of my favorite actors who keeps getting cast in movies and they do not know what to do with them, Ico Owais- Oh, one of the best martial artists for film. What they do with him here
1: is kind of an abomination, actually.
0: And it just it reminds me of Mile 22. Like you take not just one of the greatest like he is a very, very solid martial artist in the real world. Yeah. When it comes to on screen, flat out, he is arguably the one of the top three people martial artists in film. Uh huh. Because it is real. It is genuine. He knows how to do these things. This movie, (laughs) again, this is a throwaway summer comedy. Like It is not meant to be a martial arts, you know, fantastic movie. But you have a fantastic martial artist. Give him choreography that makes sense. But... That is a different part. The movie itself. He I would needs, sp-
1: yeah. We'll, well, we can talk about him. I think he needs a new agent. He does. He because does. The, the movies he's showing up in, I don't think the directors quite know what to do with him.
0: Yeah. He is going to be. And that's new-
1: true in Stuber as well. Yeah. I, I don't think that, that Michael Dowse knows what to do or what, what talent they have no. right there in front no. of
0: him. So the movie itself, the very loose plot is you have Dave Batista, whose partner was killed. And this is in the first like two minutes of the movie. Partner is killed by this evil gang. And so he, of course, goes on this quest for justice. Uh for years, you know, on on yeah. this case, or at least a year, I think. It was a couple years, yeah. Yeah, a couple years. He then meets Kamal Nanjiani's character, who is an Uber driver. Named Stu. Named Stu. Yeah. Uh I just got the t- No, I'm kidding. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh which <laughs> Batista calls him. Stu, you drive Uber, Stu. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and he basically like Batista enlists him to be like. I need your help because of this MacGuffin that they put in where he just had eye surgery. And so like cataract surgery, (laughs) the slowest recovery
1: from LASIK ever. But (laughs) what I, what I love about this movie
0: is so you have Batista, this mountain of a man who cannot really see, and he needs Kamal's help. When he starts getting his sight back in the movie, you're like, Oh, okay. Within like 30 seconds, he gets hot sauce sprayed in his eyes and immediately goes blind again. (laughs) Like, I mean, I was like, You got me like that. That is such a silly, dumb joke. But it worked. Yeah. Uh, Going back to kind of Men in Black, like the chemistry between Nanjiani and Batista. Like, (laughs) like it works like the two of them together are hilarious. And I loved that this is the first movie that I can remember since Rush Hour. That was a buddy cop movie with two non-white leads.
1: Yeah, you're right. I mean, I can't think How of one. There insane. might be one, but I can't and think of one. And Rush Hour was the first.
0: Yeah. Like, so I loved that. Um, you have Batista's daughter uh, plays, or Natalie Morales plays Nicole. Mm-hmm. So like, this is a very diverse movie in a way that like, I did not really think about. And then like, it was like, oh, this is what we call normalized diversity. But it's like, hey, this is just a fun yeah. comedy right. with a bunch of people of color.
1: Like, that was just great. I wish this movie had... Well, I like the movie. I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie. I mean, I I I I had more fun with this than I should have, I think. Same. <laughs> I really just want Dave Bautista and Kumail Nanjiani to be in everything. Just yeah. to have cameos in every movie for the rest of the year cuz they bring such a a levity and mm-hmm. an enjoyment and just a I'm just going to have fun. Like I don't even care. Yet they, they don't act in a different movie than what's happening around them. They they, they fit in the confines yeah. of what they're doing here, even as ridiculous at times as this movie is. Very much so. Um, or as, as predictable as it is. But I wish this movie had done better because the optics of it are important. Yep. And also because this is a better movie than something that should have made like $20, $30 million and Absolutely. been relegated to the scrap heap. You know, it, it, it's a bummer that this movie couldn't find traction because they are funny together Yes, and they make the best out of a, a tired concept. There's nothing original to this story. I don't Zero. care if you, even if you put it in an Uber, even if you give, um, what's the kid, the guy, his coworker, the guy from American Vandal.
0: Oh, uh,
1: you want to talk about typecast. This poor guy is uh, Jimmy Tatro is yep, his name. Jimmy Tatro. This guy, if you've seen American Vandal season one on Netflix, he's only apparently going to get that dumb jock. Yeah. Man child role. And I don't care. I'll watch him do that as much as, as he wants to do it uh, in small doses. Cause he's like actually a, really funny here. Sean,
0: Sean Patrick Scott. Yeah. Kind of like post American pie. And it was like, he that. just got
1: stifler kind of work. Yeah. For, Ever till he just said, I'm done, guys. I can't do this yeah. anymore. I don't know. It's a bummer. I enjoyed this. It's it's completely predictable. You know exactly where it's going. Mm-hmm. The jokes are funny. They're great. Yeah.
0: I just I wish it's that dispensable. But yeah, it's it, fun. It is uh dispensable but also easily digestible. You know, in the sense of like it is just it is a throwaway summer comedy. I wish that Yeah, eco wise like there was no reason to have a martial oh, yeah, artist him, of that yeah. caliber in a movie like this, when you do not really know what to do with him. And like, for me, it's like, I'm glad eco is in front of people. I'm glad that he's getting more eyes on him. He has a new show. Uh, woo assassins coming out on Netflix next week, right, 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 right. Looks incredible filmed up in Vancouver. Sounds like
1: maybe that could be his breakthrough then where he's actually something around him gives him the agency to be what he is and (laughs) and thrive as opposed to, He's a drug lord in this movie. He has like right. one or two scenes that are obviously they're hyper edited to the point where you can't even yep. unless you know who he is. You, you have no sense that this is just any other well choreographed fight. Yeah. you know, actor in a fight.
0: So that was honestly that was my only downside of this movie. Like, was just I wish they knew what to do with him. But the comedy hits.
1: The booty call subplot is is something I can do without, honestly, yeah. in two thousand nineteen because. Yeah, that, it, it's dumb and it doesn't work, but yeah, I, I enjoyed Stuber for what it was. Yep, so for me, I gave it a good. I will be a good as well. Even Fantastic. Even though it's probably out of theaters and that's a shame. Yeah, true.
0: <laughs> all right, next movie.
1: Still in theaters. Still uh, in all the theaters.
0: All the theaters probably for the next month. The Lion King.
1: Uh, I don't know, anyway, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I was going to sing the song and I just yeah, no. gave up halfway through.
0: Uh, the latest, quote unquote, live action version Uh, I will fight anybody who says this is live action. This is not live action. No, it's an animated film. This is
1: an animated film. And it should compete for the animated Oscar, even if Disney does. I mean, Disney, they'll decide if they do or not. Yeah. But it it is clearly an animated film.
0: 100%. And speaking of films that look gorgeous, the photorealistic animation that they have looks incredible. Yeah. If this were a nature movie. This is not a nature movie. (laughs) This is The Lion King. And almost none of the characters have any sort of color to them, some life to them. Scar is just gray. Rafiki does not have like bright blue like the animal does in real life. It is not like I was looking for some hyper realistic photo, you right. know, some, some color play. But just everything is just bland. Like, and we saw this in IMAX, like on the yep. one of the best screens in the Northwest, digital laser projection all this stuff and it looks like somebody just washed over it like they put a cloth on the screen and just wiped it down like it was just the color palette of this the reason i'm not talking about the plot is that it's blanking literally nothing is different it is yeah i mean they they extended
1: about a half hour but it's it's not there's nothing unique to those extra minutes that take it away from make it anything different
0: yeah and this my Biggest problem, like, when it opens, and you have that opening song, and you have this sweeping over the savannah, looks incredible and everything. As soon as the characters started interacting with each other, I started disconnecting. Like, the hyenas have some physical distinctions between them. Yeah. But that is about it. Scar has a scar. All of the female lions look exactly the same. Right. Like, it was just... I, I, it was it was weird so, to watch this movie as beautiful as it was and not feel anything.
1: I feel like it probably isn't going to win. But to me, I feel like the visual effects Oscar race should just be over probably. at this point. I mean, there's nothing I've seen like this for ways good and bad. Yeah. The, the For me, where I and I do like this movie more than most, but where I disconnect to is the photorealism. It's a little bit like when they started using sort of, um, I'm thinking of the, what is the, the animation technique they use in like the polar express rotoscope. Uh, ro- is it, is that where, the- or,
0: oh, oh, um, like where they always little ping pong dots on people. And yeah. Stuff. But like yeah. the, the
1: dead doll eye look, right? Like oh, okay. th- that animation Uncanny where the Valley. eye. Yeah, exactly. Um, this technique, this process limits these characters to have emotion <laughs> and it, uh, to radiate emotion. In other yeah. words, you've got emotional things happening absolutely and they're able to get around one big emotional moment from just adding to kind of some some shock and awe of of the sight of what happens that mm-hmm. is different than what's in the animated movie but beyond the sort of visceral reaction to someone not
0: you can spoil the movie it came out 20 years ago someone dying in the movie <laughs> like, right <what?
1: laughs> um short of you know when you see that moment mm-hmm. It's presented in a way that's really, it's it's affecting, it's visceral. Sure. But the emotions connected to it that you look for yep. in characters is just, it's absent.
0: It, it, that was one of the things I were done was it just felt empty.
1: And so that I think is a flaw of this amazing technique. That you have this incredible ability to animate things that look real. Mm-hmm. And And this movie looks real. It
0: looks like a nature documentary.
1: But... Then when you get down to like the storytelling and the emotions and the nuts and bolts of it all, it's mm-hmm. just, it's absent. Yeah. And you can put some funny gags in it and you can make um, uh, Seth Rogen and, and Billy Eichner, I think pretty terrific as, as. Disagree. Tim and M. Like I enjoyed Bill, them. Billy Eichner Well, Billy Eichner
0: especially. Surprised me with how good of a vocalist he is. Like he blew me away. Yeah. Seth Rogen cannot sing. No, I. Like it was I wasn't painful. expecting him to sing though. That was, that was. That, it, it, that didn't
1: bug me as much because uh, I, I wasn't expecting him to bust out a Pavarotti like you True, know. True,
0: but even so, like Scar's song was just bad. Yeah, like some of the vocals in this just did not work. They they just there again it was there was a disconnect, and it was interesting in the acting scenes. Yeah. Donnie Danny Glover, Danny Glover, sheesh Donald Glover. Donald Glover, and Beyonce in the acting scenes, she feels a little bit wooden because she mm-hmm. is still kind of getting used to acting uh, it seems like during the singing bits went together and it was like oh, okay bye bye Donna Glover like Beyonce right. is still Beyonce yeah but it just it was just weird this disconnection that again I think a lot of it was the emotion in the animals this photorealistic world that you gave us without the connection that we need to actually make to the characters for it to matter so it was just it was weird. I uh, I Yeah. This is something where everybody who asked me about this when they knew I saw it, I was like, just go back and watch the animation. Like just go back and watch the original. This new one does nothing other than look really pretty. Yeah. Okay. So uh to me, the Lion King, uh I mean I hate to say this, but it gets an ugly because part if this were its own thing. I could not give this an ugly because it, it just to the technical yeah. ability. This is ugly. This movie does not need to exist. Go back and watch the original. Well, yeah. I, like go back and watch the original and it will give you those feelings. Does any, that movie, will, does any movie need to exist? I believe so. <laughs> um, but this one, it just, yeah, go back and watch the original. There is no <clears throat> I don't reason. disagree
1: with you. I mean, the original is, is canon. It's yeah, classic it was the
0: golden age. It was the second golden age of, of Disney right. movies. This is just, this is nothing. I, I felt nothing in the parts that I was supposed to feel. Yeah. I disconnected. with. Yeah. It was just, it was, and that was really unfortunate.
1: I, uh, I wrote in my review that it's uh it's an audience friendly perplexing conundrum of a movie. Wow. So I guess I would go with a bad, I, I actually okay. like more of this than some of our peers do, including the person across from me in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, but do I think it's like, legendary iconic like no No. i I do think it will be remembered as being innovative for the technique of the photorealism advancing it to the level it has but again i think what this movie does show us is that there's still much more they can do with it even as remarkable as this movie looks
0: and this was better than dumbo yes it was this was better than aladdin in, in in ways but it just, yeah. I th- Aladdin
1: just felt forced. Yeah. They are trying too hard with Aladdin. Yeah.
0: So. so. That's kind of weird. Okay, okay. Next movie uh, is Crawl, <laughs> directed by. <laughs> this is all you.
1: I haven't seen Crawl. But-, but you had a heck of an experience watching I Crawl.
0: sure did. So, Alexander uh, Asha. Uh, Crawl, basically, a tsunami comes into Florida. What comes <laughs> with a tsunami? alligators what
1: no come on
0: but not to the point of like sharknado ridiculousness um i watched this with my friend jed uh who we were the only two people in the theater that's what I, yeah there you go What i was looking for right before the movie started a couple other people trickled in like as the movie was starting yeah jed is from florida jed worked on an alligator farm and so like you know he Amazing. was the person perfect person to see this with Multiple times during the movie, he was like, uh, no, no, <laughs> no. So it shows like at one point with the tsunami in Florida, one of the characters was like, oh, the levees are going to break, blah, blah. And Jed was like, there are no levees in Florida. Yeah. At all. Doesn't matter. <laughs> like that is not a thing. And within hours of this storm of the tsunami, there is like seven feet of water. And Jed was like, there is no part in Florida where you're going to get 7 feet of what like it just would not right happen. But of course, in the movie it does. You have alligators. Uh this this movie is bonkers, but I enjoyed it. Um yeah. The so- structure the structure of this house that they are in <clears throat> that of course she goes back to rescue the girl goes back to rescue her dad in. The house does not make sense. There is a house with a basement, which also in Florida does not exist. Yes. You do not build houses with, with basements. No. Not only does it have a basement, which is like five feet deep, like an unfinished basement, it leads into a grotto still under the house Yeah, that leads to a pipe that leads to a lake. And it was like, okay, even if you are not in Florida, what home has a pipe under it from a lake that leads to a grotto under, like,
1: it just does not. I don't want to break your train of thought, but I have one question. <laughs> okay. Why is it that a movie like crawl and maybe you'll answer this mm-hmm. gets a pass for a huge fatal flaw in its construct like that, that, that other movies don't get. In other words, mm-hmm. maybe we've done this on this show, but I know that there are critics who will get to an element of unrealisticness like that mm-hmm. and they'll go, screw this. What what am I watching? This right. is stupid. Yet everyone loves this movie. I think because it is still entertaining.
0: Okay. I think I think like a Sharknado type thing when it is so ridiculous, it is hard to watch. This is at least is somewhat entertaining. Sharknado is not hard to watch. Oh, uh, sure it is. Um, uh, <laughs> but one of the funny things is this movie opens with the girl at a swim meet, that? and I I turned to Jed and I was like, "She is going to outswim an alligator in this movie." Like I I knew it was going to happen. Of course she <laughs> is. And lo and behold, in the third act. She has to outswim an alligator.
3: Yeah. And, and
0: Jed's
1: are, thought was?
0: Absolutely. Like, no. <laughs> no. And at one point, when they're like, oh, we need to get away from the alligator. Go above water. Alligators can't hear above water. Sorry, what now? Um, So, like, the alligator biology was not right. The tsunami uh, was not
1: correct. There's nobody, so, much, nobody, so much wrong. So nobody cares, though. Why? No,
0: nobody cares. Because it was at least fun to watch. Because like, the
1: kills are awesome. That's what, right? I mean, were, that, actually, there were only. That's what I've heard is that the alligators, when they when they succeed in their mission of mm-hmm. eating people, spoiler,
0: there are a few, but at the same time, that is not what alligators do. Alligators will eat a deer and then not eat for a
1: month. Yeah, but that's not these alligators. Oh, oh of course not. You know,
0: no. but it was like that was just kind of weird. But uh, the performances were were okay. Um it's
1: is it Kaya, Kaya Scodelario yeah, is in this? from the Maze Runner movies and Oh yeah that was what she was for. I could not uh, pick other stuff put it together but yeah.
0: Uh purely silly does not make sense but it was still kind of fun. Okay. Uh so I gave it a
1: good. All right. I'm so, going to remember this the next yeah. time you trash a movie that's just as silly. <laughs> totally fair. For those reasons.
0: For those reasons. All right, next movie. Uh go. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Oh, for crying out loud! The latest movie by uh, legendary director Quentin Tarantino. Do you have
1: Do you have the mailing address where I can send in my credit card? Because I don't like this movie.
0: Oh, uh, let me know because I will send in mine also. Yeah, because
1: apparently I need to turn in my credentials.
0: I flat out do not. This is another movie. At the end of it, I was like, "What did I just watch? Why? What was this? Why? Why does this? Why did this get made?" Uh, not like the famous YouTube show, you know, how did this get made, but why? <laughs> like this, the thing that I will give this movie for those people who do not know what this is, which but let's,
1: is... But let's be clear, people love A lot of people this love movie.
0: this. So this takes place in the glory days of Tinseltown and Hollywood well, in the, the 60s. The
1: end of the golden age, uh, and End of the golden
0: age. And
1: which was a hell of a summer, by the way. I mean, not, not to derail our conversation, yeah, but the, the, there's like five or six significant historical events that happened that summer.
0: Which, to me... I had to have a conversation with like Adam Gurkey, a friend of ours, after the screening. My Hollywood history from that time period with Sharon Tate and everything, practically non-existent. Yeah. I I so I missed a lot of the connections in the movie, and people were like, "Oh, you need to meet Charlie. Charlie will love you." I I did not catch that. Charles
1: Manson. I'm just gonna say is a MacGuffin in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. They put him in the marketing. They give him the little wave. They they, they they use him as, as a, like a key component to this movie. Sorry, guy. He is a MacGuffin. He is yeah, he does has nothing. nothing in this movie.
0: Yeah. So, but that was a connection to like this time right. period that I just did not get. One thing I will say about this movie, one of the biggest successes of this movie, next to The Witch, another movie that won a Seattle Film Critics Society Award oh, yes. from years ago, The Witch is arguably one of the best period pieces since Kurosawa. Like watching the witch, that's like some bold praise.
1: The, I don't disagree with you, the but
0: clothing, that's some bold praise. The dialogue, the way, like it looks like you are back then. Yep. What Quentin Tarantino is able to do. And once upon a time in Hollywood, there is not a single shot where it is sweeping over LA or driving.
1: It is a, it is a, nothing is a love out of place letter and authenticity to LA 1969. You're absolutely like, right. That,
0: that blew me away. So set designers, prop designers, like, Script supervisors, like, holy crap, did they do a good job? Yep. Because not a frame of it is anachronistic.
1: Yep. You're right. Absolutely right.
0: But I do not care. Like, the performance that Leo gives is tremendous. I love when actors (laughs) pretend to not know how to act. Same with singers pretending to not know how to sing. There are some moments in this when Leonardo DiCaprio's character is trying to act. And those moments are incredible. Uh, he has some great moments with Brad Pitt.
1: I'm sighing because I agree with you, but that just happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. Go ahead. Continue.
0: Uh, but it just, so in those moments, that was great. I mean, because you, you get him frustrated with maybe losing his career and what is his career and the spaghetti Westerns and everything. And so I liked those moments, but as the movie went on and first of all, this third act, I swear it felt like 50 minutes by itself. Well, like it drags.
1: Here's the thing about this movie. That's frustrating. There are, there is a fantastic movie that exists in this movie Mm -hmm. that when people tell me how much they love this or that it's going to get nominated for 10, 12 Oscars and win a whole bunch, and this is going to be Tarantino's best picture win and all that kind of stuff. When I hear that, Mm -hmm. I go, well, I can, I can I can start to formulate what generates those conversations okay DiCaprio is fantastic yep his chemistry with Brad Pitt and Brad Pitt both fantastic mm-hmm. um, the authenticity the sets the costumes the music it's again the yep. Tarantino jukebox yep strikes gold again. Everything that we have loved about Quentin Tarantino at his best exists here and everything that nobody has ever really acknowledged until maybe the hateful eight, it started to come out a little bit that bugs people about Quentin Tarantino minus his reliance on the N word, which is not in this movie. Not at all. Thank goodness. Thank you, Quentin. Those things are getting ignored again. And and the problem is this is a ponderous movie. There is, there is. So many little mini movies going on here, yeah. many stories going on here that, that beg more attention. And he just swoops it all together as this myriad two and a half, two forty, two 240, two hours and 40 minutes sort of saga of LA in 1969. And the problem with it is it drags. Yeah. There is a sequ- There are moments in this movie that are so boring mm-hmm. where it felt to me like he was getting overwhelmed by his ambition. And I'm actually shocked that more people don't feel that way because yeah. when I hear people love this movie, they talk about anecdotal things. Mm-hmm. They talk about DiCaprio, the scene, uh, where he's trying to s- sort of the scene with the, the little girl that's yeah. on TV, that TV show, Julia Butters trying is trying to name. hold it in, like trying to, yeah. yeah and any, he, any, he, any, he, the vulnerability he shows when he's mm-hmm. mad at himself. I mean, that's a powerful moment. Absolutely. Pitts as good as he's ever been because he's, this morally challenged character who's, who's trying to figure out where he fits in, but he's happy to just be sort of the lackey for as long as DiCaprio can keep working. But then yeah, there's a lot going on with his character. Um, I'm not mentioning Sharon Tate because quite frankly, I don't remember anything about Margot Robbie's performance in this movie. Sorry. I just don't.
0: She, I mean, again,
1: other than watching herself on screen, yeah, which is a great moment.
0: It is. I, <laughs> And I think because of those gaps in my Hollywood history, I have never seen a Sharon Tate movie. I do not know much about her, you know, murder and everything. And so like her watching that movie, I was like, is that the actual movie? So I think again, that love letter to Hollywood people who know the time period and know those films, I think that has clouded the judgment possibly yeah, of this because I, I am not an editor, a film editor. Podcast editor, yes. I'm not a film <laughs> editor. On a first pass through this movie, I could cut 30 minutes. Like, on a first pass. So,
1: I, I will readily admit that as time goes on, whatever much time I have left in this world, if I come across <laughs> this movie again, mm-hmm. and I'm already going to tell you this is going to annoy me during awards season, because mm. I do not believe this movie is as good as everyone thinks it is, and nope. I will I will die on a hill. Not really. Cinematography? Sure, I will give it that. Yeah. Yeah. Am I ready for this thing to sweep through the Oscars? No, 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 no. But in time, mm-hmm. I may grow to appreciate this more. I will acknowledge that wiggle room. Okay. However, during the watching of this movie, it is it is it feels like a refrigerator magnet word game in the sense of all the different things that he pulls together to try to make this thing cohesive mm-hmm. and make sense. And it's it's ponderous, like I said. It it rambles and then it gets to this final act that is just not, it did nothing. It's it, the movie. So Tarantino's movies always have these moments of violence, these shocking situations, these uncomfortable things. And we've grown to love to be in that, cradle of I shouldn't be laughing at this but oh my god I can't believe what I'm watching or this is really awful but man he made that look so great I I just have to admi- I just have to admire what I'm watching because this is incredible filmmaking yeah. I don't think he accomplishes that when he goes for it all at once puts all of his eggs in a basket in a final sequence and I know that everyone wants to talk about how he rewrites history and it's so great sure so what I mean he's he did this in Inglorious Bastards Mm-hmm he did it in a kitschy, campy sort of way. Right. He tries to do that here with this sort of shocking sequence of violence that mm-hmm. people probably thought was going to be something else based on the characters in the movie. And it's not, it's something completely yep. different, but it's not funny. It goes too long. It's, it's unnecessarily violent to the point so. where it stops being funny and it just starts to be cruel and, and you're wondering what? Why are we? Why are we laughing at this? Mm-hmm. And that's how. And then it has this weird sort of sweet coda at the end. And then we go home. And I just thought to myself, Oh, this is this is this is not his best work. And then I'm seeing people love it. So I don't know. I just think it's 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 just it's his ambition getting the best of him. And yep. and we would criticize other filmmakers for doing for, for screwing this up less than what I think he does here. Yep. And it's a, it's it's unfortunate because there's a good movie in here, but just there's just too much down. around it. Yeah, yeah, too absolutely. much around it for it to come through.
0: Now this is one that, so I'm going to give it a a bad and not an ugly because again, Leo's yeah. Leo's performance fantastic, set design, production design incredible, but I 100 percent agree with everything you just said and all of the faults. But this is a hard one for me to give an ugly oh, to. because I can't like, give it an ugly. Yeah, no. it just it because it looks incredible it just is way too long. Like, and the, I think yeah. again, similar to what we were saying before, I think that at this point in Quentin Tarantino's, you know, filmmaking career, this is his ninth movie.
3: Who is going Give to or say, take.
0: yeah, right. <laughs> who is going to say no to him?
3: Yeah, no one will.
0: Exactly. And so he is able to just throw it on the wall and be like, all right, here it is. Yeah. So yeah, your official reading.
1: I mean, I'll go, I'll go with a bad, okay. I, 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 you know, I, <laughs> I'll go
0: with the bad. All right. Sounds good. All right. The last movie. Oh I my mean, gosh. We, we made it. Last movie. Yes. Uh, definitely longer episode than I thought, but that is okay. Uh, is Fast and the Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw.
3: Oh, wow. This
0: mess of a <laughs> movie.
1: Look, <laughs> You want to talk about a movie that makes no sense.
0: Zero. Zero sense. Do you want, do you want to give the synopsis on this Oh, one? I don't
1: know. Uh, you're, I'm bad at synopsis. Synopses. Okay. You can do it, but. So I'll, basically, just, I'll just parrot along with you or just jump along with you on this.
0: So Hobbs and Shaw from the Fast and the Furious franchise basically have to go after Idris Elba's character, who is a legitimate supervillain with superpowers. He has some sort of cybernetics in his body, works for a shadow organization that wants to make the human race better by injecting them with these things that then become cyborgs. Kind of, this movie is insane. Yeah. Flat out insane. Yeah. It gives us about... 30 minutes of Fast and the Furious movie. And then, wait, how, how long is this movie? This movie 2-15. is... 2.15. 2 hours, 17 minutes is what it says on yeah. The IMDb. Yeah. 30 minutes of that is a Fast and the Furious movie. Like thir- like going like right. the, the old school. I say old school. Like from the Fast and Furious <laughs> one where like the camera well, goes in the engine compartment and gets all of that. Like we get about 30 to 45 minutes, I will say, of that. The rest is a Marvel movie. Like, this is a superhero movie.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't even think about that. It kind of is. You're right.
0: Like, this is no longer... Like, they had been skirting with willing suspension of disbelief ever since a submarine was involved in the last movie or two movies ago. Oh, I know. It all blurs together. This one flat out is like, oh, wait, no, Idris Elba is a superhero, supervillain with powers and strength and eyesight. Well, isn't there a he,
1: scene where his back is like wide open and there's yeah. just cords and wires coming yep. out and he's plugging it. And
0: he is still awake and still what, talking whatever. and having a conversation. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, insane. This shadow
0: organization is going to come back at some point. We, we get this voice in this kind of like very Charlie's angels type of situation <laughs> um, with this voice giving you just all, but his orders and you know, and when he finally talks to Hobbs. You know, and he was like, you don't remember me, but you will. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. I have no idea who this is, and I do not care.
1: I don't think they know who it is yet. No. I feel like maybe a couple of casting choices that if you dig around on the internet that didn't come together, maybe were who this was supposed to be. But at this point, I don't think they know who this is supposed to be.
0: Yeah. Uh, The editing in this movie is atrocious. Outside of the car, uh, outside of the racing elements of this where you have this car chase and everything like those are done well yeah the climax of this movie in the third act this big fight uh which again you see a lot of in the trailer um it starts at (laughs) it starts at dawn dawn (laughs) dawn for those of you in different parts you know the world might be 7 p.m it might be 10 p.m when it starts to get dark Right. So, you know, from dawn
1: till dusk. And we're supposed to be in Samoa.
0: Yes. Uh, which, this is the most Samoan culture has been in a mainstream movie ever.
1: And they shot it in
0: Hawaii. And it is, oh, ouch. Uh, but uh, Polynesia. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, takes, this climax takes place at dawn. Yeah. As it gets dark, they light fires. They do an incredible modified haka You know, war chant. There
1: is an entire scene where, or there's a moment where a car creates a ring of fire Mm -hmm. in the night. Yeah, so that you can see what is going on. Then,
0: literally 14 minutes later, it is high noon. In this same fight sequence. Yes. Like, not just, like, morning sunshine. 14
1: 14 movie minutes, because someone has a timer strapped to them. Which is a terrible idea. Why do they do that? (laughs) They cut back to the timer to Mm -hmm. show you how much time is left before chaos ensues or whatever. And it's been like 14 minutes or whatever. And they cut back to a fight and it's, it's noon with the sun out and it's 80 degrees. And
0: not just, and the sun is not in a shot, which means the sun is above them, which means it's the middle of the day. Yeah. Then as this fight progresses in various ways, uh, we get to another climax climactic fight and it is dark and a thunderstorm we go back to said timer. There are still five minutes left. And it's nighttime. And it was like, what? What is happening? Like, it. I I, I genuinely do not know. The drone photography in this felt like when an indie filmmaker first gets a drone and they're like, oh my gosh, this opens so many more possibilities. These yeah, people, people on a, a cliff. People are laughing
1: when the first drone shots are. I mean, the, in the, the first
0: drone shot is okay because you get this these people on a cliff having this deep conversation A drone like drone swoops in behind them you see this beautiful island cool whatever cuts back to them cuts back to the drone shot back to them back to a drone shot it was like what are you doing sloppy like it is messy jason statham and the rock are, are having a good time at least they yeah. seem like it um the uh what is her name vanessa kirby yep plays hattie
1: Keep in mind, Vanessa Kirby um, is connected to Jason Statham, and they're supposed to be of a similar age. Right. And in real life, they're like 25 years apart, correct? Oh, is it? Is it is, oh,
0: oh me, I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, just...
1: Statham's 51, I think, wow. right? Isn't that how old he is? <laughs>
0: and they were movie age, I want to say like maybe six, seven years apart.
1: Yeah, uh, let's see. Statham is 52. He just turned 52.
0: Wow. And she is 31. Vanessa
1: Kirby is 31 and they play a couple of years. apart. Yeah. Siblings, a couple of years apart. Yeah. Movie Hollywood movies, ladies and gentlemen.
0: Yeah. Uh, she is kind of the ultimate MacGuffin in this movie. Uh, well, and what she does does not make sense in multiple parts of the movie. And again, that is not her fault. The things that her character is asked to do, it is like we have this MacGuffin that, for 30 minutes on this countdown cannot be
1: messed with. Go out and on the front lines of battle with it. Well, the whole premise, right, is that there's so there's a virus. There's always a virus. Of course. And so she is caught in this situation where she has to make a decision on what to do. Because if if bad people get the virus, carnage ensues. So Somehow. she makes the decision to steal the virus. And the way she does that is she basically takes what three capsules and embeds them in her she body. Basically, yeah. She, she, she becomes, becomes a, a
0: host. Car- yeah. The carrier.
1: And so we find out that she has 72 hours of from course. exposure before it will liquefy her insides and then it will become airborne. Mm hmm. Okay. So this movie covers more territory in the un in the world in 72 hours than people who have lived an entire life and traveled all of their adult life. They mm-hmm. go, what from, They go all across America to London, to Moscow, to Samoa, Mm
3: -hmm. Hawaii.
1: Um, I'm missing places, but they literally canvass the globe in 72. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. It's impossible. Everything about this is impossible, but all that anyone's here for are the stunts. Yeah. And so these things, and and the one-liners, and and Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham are hilarious. That's fine. It gets exhausting, but they're Mm -hmm. fine but these movies are not movies anymore no whatever sort of when when these are hot wheels commercials when the rock got involved it infused some life into these movies like they started there were a couple of good ones i'm not mm-hmm. a fan of the earlier ones so just put that out there but okay. when he got involved it infused some life into these things and they were they were fun for a while but by now, they're, they're, you're right. They're Hot Wheels. They might as well be just be movies of kids making stuff up, playing with, with matchbook cars in their, mm-hmm. in their bedrooms. Because these things are just one-upsmanship. It's, it's stunt yeah. one-upsmanship. And that's all these are.
0: Yeah, but And the, they're
1: all they're going to be because they make so much money. Insane amounts
0: of money. But at least with the stunts. So this is directed by David Leach, who directed Atomic Blonde, who directed John Wick. He is a former stuntman. Well, Deadpool 2. And Deadpool, like yeah. Deadpool 2. Yeah. So at least with this, the stunt work makes, not makes sense. I will not say that. But the stunt work is great. The actual fight sequences with Jason Statham, who is a legitimate Taekwondo black belt, right. make sense. Like, so it, the, the well, flow the, of them. And The
1: Rock can carry himself in a sure. fight scene. I mean, drawing on his wrestling background. I mean, he right. can, he can can he can sell a fight pretty well.
0: Yeah. So like at least that part was good, but man, it just, I, I i do not understand. And this has four post-credit scenes. Yeah. What are we <laughs> like, doing? Uh, the cameos in this were completely unexpected. I had no idea Ryan Reynolds was going to be in this. I had no idea Kevin Hart was going to be in this. But
1: again, they're there because... They well, want to be. Yeah, and it gives them direction to go in for Hobbs and Shaw 2. Ugh because well, make no mistake it's wide open for a Hobbs and Shaw to yeah two years from now and and we were talking at a screening we were I was at yesterday uh, a couple of us were talking about um what is the purpose of spinning this off is this is this the rock trying to again get a one upsmanship on Vin Diesel and say look I can spin this this fast and furious mm-hmm. thing off and make just as much money as you can and I'm front and center and I'm speaking all these lines I mean is it that is it just an, a, a, a manifestation of their feud that we're going to now have Hobbs and Shaw movies for as long as they can make them? Or,
0: I, I do not know what this does for the future of Fast and the Furious.
1: I mean, I don't care. Right. <laughs> I mean, because whatever Fast and Furious was is dead and gone now. Yeah, 100%. I mean,
0: they were stealing VCRs in the first
1: one. Yeah, well, and <laughs> like, even like drag races. I mean, nobody's drag racing in yeah. these movies anymore. Not even the most recent ones. So, I don't know. It, it is what it is. It's a summer blockbuster popcorn movie. It's fine. It's yeah. just super long, sloppy, and I don't know. Yeah. He holds a helicopter at bay by holding a chain. The <sighs> of Rock does. does. I mean, of why course. not? Just he holds it with a chain and it doesn't no. break him apart.
0: Nope. Um. So I give this movie a bad. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, Because, yeah, it is, it is a mess of a movie. So, uh, wow. We made it. We made it through. We
1: butchered the timer, but we made we, it.
0: Yeah. Oh man, that that yeah, that timer was not.
1: Are you gonna you're gonna put timestamps in, right? Like oh we yeah, do, yeah so, Always. Okay, Good.
0: Yeah. So at least people can. We'll go check through. our work afterwards. <laughs> uh, I, th- I would say on average we we're maybe around like eight minutes. Yeah, you know, eight okay. nine minutes. Um,
1: we but yeah we, lo- we love the movies. What can right. we say?
0: We did, and it is, it is tough. So this whenever I do things like this where I try and cram in as much as possible, it really sh- reminds me with Siskel and Ebert. With at the movies. Granted, their their thirty minute show back in the day, there was not anywhere near of content there is these days. Right. But in a 30 minute show, they would talk three, four movies, sometimes five if it were, you know, summer blockbuster weekend. So so much respect to to those guys. Absolutely. They
1: also have the use they could use clips. Yeah, to, it's to like help not only yeah, were they, accentuate their like they yeah. could, they could throw an opinion out and lead to a clip to further their opinion.
0: Still in thirty minutes, and that but you're right; it's impressive with commercials. That brings it down to twenty five minutes. Like yeah, yeah. They're so that is not me, yeah. but we got through all of them, uh, and,
1: and you're back on track moving forward, which yes. is good.
0: Yeah. So I, I and I'm thrilled to be a part of that. Oh, thank you. Uh, so yeah, I, I am healthier uh, than I was, so that is good, and still, uh, yeah. So it's feeling good. Okay. So upcoming things for the about to review podcast uh so yes there will be some episodes that have dropped recently that i post or not post dated uh backdated for when approximately they were recorded and when they should have come out so definitely check those out i'd appreciate it there's an episode with uh isabella price on there there's an episode with northwest nerd um i did an interview with garib Sheamus during ace comic-con that was a lot of fun it was like 10 minute interview i will be dropping that soon did an interview with Paul Downs-Calezzo from Brittany Runs a Marathon. Oh, nice. Which will be coming out towards the end of the month. Did an interview with Safraz Manzur, uh, the co-writer of Blinded by the Light. That should be coming out next week or in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, it's going to be a lot of content coming out uh, for About Treeview. And so I appreciate it. John
1: is back, uh, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> There's a lot. So
0: more than ever, and I say this at every episode, but more than ever, Especially after taking uh, an extended uh, layoff, uh, unintentional layoff, uh, the more people can share links and everything uh, means a lot. Because whenever I get my download numbers every week that they sent me, it makes me real sad. But I also (laughs) have not put out anything new in a while. So, yeah, that is what is going on with About Treeview. Mike at. Should I see it? What you got going on?
1: Um, well, I'm looking at the the whole list. (laughs) Yeah. I'm looking at the list of movies coming out in August in our market and I'm, I'm exhausted already. Um, no, just, just reviews, just reviews It should I see it? We, um, Seattle Film Critics Society is getting ready for um, the fall, which means mm-hmm. awards season, which yeah. I cannot even believe is around the corner. Madness. Um, but uh, getting active uh, again with them as uh, we move into the, uh, well, you and I, of course, are part of that. So as mm-hmm. we move into the fall and just trying to catch the train as it leaves the station with all the movies coming out and writing good reviews and sharing all that content. So fantastic. Should and then the, see dot it? That's where yeah. I'm at.
0: Uh, North Bend Film Festival. <laughs> Uh, yeah, up.
1: the North Bend Film Festival. So the North Bend Film Festival is a genre festival 15 minutes from my house. For those of nice. you who don't know where North Bend, Washington is, it is where- South of lo- Seattle, which is funny. Yes, yeah, south of <laughs> everywhere. Um, it's 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 uh, where David Lynch filmed some of Twin Peaks, um, mm-hmm. the television series and, you know, well, I guess, yeah, and the revamp, the reboot that mm-hmm. he did uh, a year ago or two. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so there's a, a, one, a one screen house uh, in North Bend and um, they're turning it over to these programmers who will be programming the second North Bend Film Festival. And that's August 15th through the 18th. And hopefully, uh, should I see it, we'll be a part of covering that. And they, co- they, they bring uh, horror, science fiction and documentaries and um, just sort of mysterious, odd short films and they'll nice. do virtual reality this year. So it's going to be fun. So hopefully we'll get some coverage up for that too, as well.
0: Very cool. So should I see it is yep. where you can find Mike. At and should I see it on the Twitter? Yes. Uh, on all of the social medias and those links will be posted below. Uh, thank you again, everybody for, for powering through this episode. Thank you for, uh, your support um, uh, during this weird time in, in my life. Uh, we yeah, have I, you, John. Yeah, I appreciate that. And so I'm very appreciative of that. And thank you, Mike, for coming out of the studio and thank you helping me power through these movies. Yeah, I appreciate it.
1: It's been a lot of fun.
0: Fantastic. All right. So for this episode of the about to review podcast, make sure to rate review, subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, Follow it on social media at about to review. And if you want to send an email, it is about to review at gmail.com. I have been your host, That guy named John, and I have been joined by...
1: Mike Ward.
0: (laughs) And we will see you (laughs) next time.
2: (laughs) Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. To get ourselves a treat.